Welcome to the Best Picture Cast. I'm your host, Kieran B. I recently completed my goal of watching every Oscar Best Picture winner ever and decided to start a podcast to review each one. Each episode, myself and revolving co-hosts will discuss, assess, and evaluate a different Best Picture winner with the goal to establish a ranking for the entire list. This is not a Who Should Have Won podcast. We are here to discuss the inner circle of movies who took home the crown in their respective years. As a disclaimer, this is an opinion-based podcast and a subjective discussion by movie enthusiasts who don't claim to be trained experts. If we destroy your favorite movie or praise a movie you think is trash, we encourage you to write us in at our email, which is bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. Again, that's bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. You can also find us on all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Best Picture Cast. So that's at Best Picture Cast on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. And my name is Kieran B. As I said, I have two... I have two gentlemen with me who are going to join us for this conversation. You've heard their voices before. To my left is a voice you've heard often if you're a if you're familiar with BPC, and he is Grant C. Grant. Hey everybody, it's good to be back. Getting ready to talk about another uh, another black and white classic. That's exactly right. And also returning for his second time after joining me for the American Beauty podcast, it's Jay Dowski. I had such a good time the first time, had to come back again. That's right. I got these gentlemen to agree to join me today Yeah. for the 1947 Best there Picture it winner. It's the gentleman's agreement. And By the way, we did not agree on using saliva as your opening <laughs> intro. Just so we're all clear. We're all on the same page. I did not uh, agree to that. I know. We already lost Artie B. I'm sure he heard that. He heard the first <laughs> five seconds of that and said, I'm not listening to this podcast. That being said, we are here to talk about that movie. But before we do that, I do want to take this time to let everyone know that we, for the month of October, are going to be doing a what we call the BPC Horror Fest Twitter tournament. So we have recently completed our Sub-50 Cup, which was us each selecting three movies that were under 50% on Rotten Tomatoes Critic. We put all 24 of them into a World Cup-style pool. There was one winner. And that winner was Grant Z's choice, Roadhouse. Yeah. It just edged out Jay Dowski here's choice, which was Super Troopers, one of those three. It was a, a hard-fought battle. Roadhouse was the winner. And Roadhouse got its very own episode, which will be airing next week. So Ooh, I can't wait. Yes, I, I think you're all going to... Cannot Roadhouse. <laughs> you're going to love hearing that one. Uh, that one will also have RDB and Joey R in the mix, too. Should be a very, very interesting conversation. Too bad we didn't get to talk Super Troopers, Jay. Well, I refuse to go on the uh, podcast. <laughs> off, so I guess that's on me. <laughs> he declined the invite. He declined the invite to the Roadhouse discussion. But, hey, you never know. Maybe in the future there will be a, a BPC Super Troopers episode. As I said, we're doing this horror tournament for the month of October. The winner of this tournament will get its very own episode, which will air the week of Halloween. Very excited for that. We have 21 selections in place, if you've listened to our previous episodes. Each host picked a horror movie that they thought was a classic, a horror movie that they thought was underrated, overlooked, or underappreciated, and then one they thought could have possibly been nominated for Best Picture, in their opinion, in the given year it came out. 
I said we have 21 and a 24-team field. That's because Jay Dowski here, the runner-up of the BPC Sub-50 Cup, is going to give us his three choices. And we're going to do that right now. Jay, are you ready to go to uh, lock out the field of 24? I'm ready. Which would you like to start with? The classic, the underrated, the Oscar? All right. So for the classic, I'm going to go with Scream. Okay. Um, 1996 classic that if you were around back then, everybody saw it. Everybody was talking about it. And um, I think everybody still likes it. Groundbreaking in that it's, it kind of started the whole parodies of horror films with Scary Movie after that. But at the same time, it was scary itself. So it's my classic. Yeah, that definitely that, great one. that self-aware. That's so good. I mean, and of course, people our age, like we grew up in middle school. We were in the, oh my God. In the heat of it. Yeah. Uh, revived Wes Craven's career, too. It, it, right. it revived horror movies. Yeah. yeah. It really, I mean, the horror movies before, like somewhere between the 80s, the late 80s and like the early 90s, there was nothing. And then Scream came along and kind of added new life to, uh, to that genre. Yeah, for sure. Killer soundtrack too. Oh my god! And Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds in there. That's and good. Yeah, good, good, good stuff. It's good yep. night, solid '90s soundtrack. And you know, with the other 21 in place there, and you hear that, I mean, I gotta think Scream's got a chance to win this whole thing. I mean, that's. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's probably seven of us kicking ourselves that we didn't didn't think of that <laughs> one. I know, I know, I know. Uh, Greg O will be happy about that. It's like his favorite movie. Yes, Greg O, who will be joining us uh, in a, a few weeks for the uh, Birdman yeah. episode, will be making his BPC debut. Should be, should be interesting. But uh, all right, so what's next, Jay? So then the underrated one is The Strangers. Um, I don't hear too many people ever like talk about it, but for me, it's probably the scariest movie I've ever seen, or at least top three scariest films. And so it's just an underrated, really scary movie for me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I'm locking my doors as I'm thinking of, that, of that one. I've never seen that. I've never... I didn't even like watching the trailer. Like, <laughs> yeah, the trailer, right. that was enough to scare me. The trailer was enough to yeah. scare me, too. So I, I have not seen that one. It, I'm sure I will appreciate and like it. and will scare the shit out of me if I, if I watch it, but... Mm-hmm. That uh, Liv Tyler classic has uh, has evaded me. <laughs> so another good choice there, Jay. And finally, let's round that out. A movie that you thought, in your opinion, could have been nominated for Best Picture in the year that it came. Um, I'm going to go with Psycho, wow. which has all the Best Picture elements. It's got a big-time director, big-time movies, actress and actor, uh, great music. Um, it's obviously got great cinematography because... Hitchcock is at the helm, so it's got all the elements for a best picture. It just never got nominated for best picture. Yeah, yeah that's a great one. Wow, and I think that that one is, I think that's probably the only one on here that's actually an Oscar snub. You know, I mean, yeah. Grant, your choice, Alien, I think I could consider an Oscar snub. I think people, Steve, uh, choice, Hereditary, I think there was a crowd of people who thought that was snubbed. But listen, Cycle's legit. Cycle was yeah. nominated for Best Director. So yeah. that realistically was in the, in the running. I'm sure it was probably like the sixth place movie because it was the only uh, the only director nominee that was nominated for Best Picture. So I think, you know, it's hard to it's hard to argue with that. I mean, that movie changed the way movies were made. Yeah. We talked about that, Grant, in our uh, Rebecca episode. Yes. Yeah. Uh, with Joey R. We did <clears throat> a little Hitchcock tribute episode in, in that. And yeah, we talked about Psycho in length along the rear window. It's an amazing movie. Yeah, amazing movie. Yeah. And I definitely think a, one that's got a chance to a chance to win this thing. Yeah. Great choices. 
they're going to be in the mix here. I'm uh, I'm excited to see how to see how they do. I, I like my three choices. Grant, I know you feel good about yours. I, I thought Grant, you had probably the best three until Jay which went now, and and you know I think that he's got two that could, those are solid. Could take it. Yeah. Again, that's voting's going to start for that on October first. Follow us on Twitter. We always have little interesting polls or, or places for you to contribute and and give your your two cents. You know, we always every episode. Throw up a post if you ever want to ask us a question. We're going to do that later on today with Gentleman's Agreement. We're at Best Picture Cast on Twitter. We'll also do something on Instagram, too. Grant runs the Instagram account. I run the Twitter account. And we're always interacting. And I'll just take this time, too, since we're doing a little housekeeping. If you have a chance, if you're a listener to this and you appreciate it, and you have a chance to uh, rate us and write a review on iTunes, it's a huge help in getting us more visible and getting us out there. If you can take five minutes of your day to, to hop in there and just write a, a brief review if, if this is show is, is something you like and give us a little love there, that, that goes a long way. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe we'll read it on air. Yes, absolutely. If it's uh, you know good, good or bad, we'll, we'll do something. If it's bad, you know, don't, well, don't put the rating in there. You know? If it's, but, if it's, if it's bad, put then the email. You listen, know? If, it's, if it's five star, you can write whatever you want and we'll read it. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly <laughs> Maybe that's right. short of like... Some kind of propaganda. <laughs> like, we'll read, we'll read anything else. Uh, pretty, we're like the Facebook of uh, <laughs> any advertisement. Yeah, we'll, we will take it. We don't care about misinformation. We will work with the NSA. <laughs> we will, yeah. Uh, okay, well, that will be out. Voting will start October 1st of the week, the first week of October. The voting will continue through October, and it will culminate in an episode the week of Halloween. So we'll be busy. We'll be busy on top of our horror flicks. Mm-hmm. Throughout the month of October, as cannot, as any movie lover should. Cannot wait. Yes, Can, for absolutely sure. can't wait. So, uh, we're going to talk about Gentleman's Agreement now, guys. Uh, this is one... <laughs> to make it nice, <laughs> 360 turn. Boom. Yeah. Transition. So, we're doing great around here. So, this is one here that I kind of... I thrust this one on YouTube. It's not a super well-known Best Picture winner. It's 1947. This is a first viewing for both of you guys? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it is a, a true second viewing for me. So when I saw this for the first time, it was strictly to get through the list of Best Picture winners. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about it. I ordered like one of those package of DVDs on on uh, Amazon or TCM or one of those websites. They give you like a four-pack of Best Picture winners. This was one of the ones in it. First viewing, I was pretty pleasantly surprised because it was one of those where I'm like, all right, I got to get through this, this old one that I, I don't know yeah. anything about. It's going to be a snooze fest. And I appreciated it because I was entertained. It was. It started right away. The dialogue was was pretty was modern enough where I could where I could follow it without falling asleep or right. checking my phone. Yeah. And I actually appreciated the movie pretty pretty much. It was that was probably about seven years ago. It was a little bit of a different experience this time around, knowing that I'm going to be doing a podcast about it and some of the tones and subject material behind it are a little heavier to someone who is going to have to cover this one in recording. So we're going to uh, do our best here. Grant, I know yeah. we did the crash episode and we had a little bit of... We are, we are you and I are just tackling the hot issues <laughs> in this podcast. That's right. We're going to re-enter the BPC minefield here and make sure we don't step on the wrong one and blow ourselves up. <laughs> Jay, what was, uh, what was your experience like here with the first view? I think, uh, like you said, I went in not... I think the best way to go in is not knowing anything about the film. I was pleasantly surprised um, just from the opening credits to see that um, it was a Zanuck-produced film. Mm-hmm. It yep. was directed by Elian Kazan, who is a legendary director. 
Yeah, and, he's uh, one is going to come up again here. Uh, he as he directed on the waterfront, the Marlon Brando classic. Right. Yeah. Uh, also directed Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah, and, and East of Eden too. So uh, yeah, for sure a legendary, legendary director. So I had no idea. So I so you know seeing a legendary director and uh, producer on the on the ticket was uh, was good. You know, I figured I was going to get you know a, a well done film. So that was my first experience. Yeah, and yeah. Grant. Yeah, I mean, I've, um, truth be told, this is the first time uh, really seeing Gregory Peck in a movie. I've mm -hmm. never, uh, you know, I think I've seen um, To Kill a Mockingbird in like junior year English class or something. But mm -hmm. um, other than that, I've never really seen it. So I was excited to see such an acclaimed actor, yeah. you know, kind of in a role like this. Um, you know, I, you know obviously, obviously I read the synopsis going in to the movie. Um, but it was, it was, it was a, it was a very good movie. It was a good, it was a good movie. Yeah. yeah. It was one of those things where I was buying it on Apple TV and I read the synopsis a second before I bought it. Oh really? So I had no idea. So I was like, all right, gentlemen's agreement search. And then I see what it's about. And I was like, huh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just went into it. And I think, granted, you you watched it on my that said DVD. Uh, I, yeah, you you graciously lent me that DVD. And you, you visited the Karen B Library. Yeah, the, I, I, I visited a uh, Blockbuster, <laughs> and I got that DVD. <laughs> you know, it's always it's always fun for me to to kind of push these movies on to people and yeah, make them it, podcast I mean, about it. You know? This is actually one of the benefits of the podcast is that um I get to watch movies that I would never have ever even thought about. Yeah, for sure. And before we get into more of this, I forgot to drop this in, in the intro because we are going to hit you with a little bit of a, a culture shock. In true PPC fashion, we've decided to just infuse this with a little bit of, of extraneous pop culture. We're going to be doing a segment on one of the finest gentlemen that I know, the great action star Arnold Schwarzenegger. So he, we will be going through his filmography. We are going to tackle the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. And give ourselves a little break from from the film in, in the midway point. We'll have everything time stamped so the Arnold fans won't have to wrestle with the <laughs> gentleman's agreement and the gentleman's agreement fans will yeah, not have not, to wrestle. There's not with much of an overlap on that Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Sometimes you just gotta make it happen. I mean, was there was there much with with, uh, with Rocky and MacGyver McGruber? I don't think no, so. And that was no, and and that honestly that's probably a mistake that we did that. <laughs> <laughs> Our longest episode, Rocky. Check it out. Yeah, we could we could have cut that about forty five minutes out of it. Yeah, but you know what? At the end of the day, you got to keep you got to keep people guessing and keep them on their toes. So sure. it's going to be an Arnold segment, and I can't wait. I know uh, as the three of us were were text chatting about this, we were all getting fired up about Arnold, and that's pretty much just how it came to be. So that's what we're we're going to get today. I think we're ready to start this movie. Are we? Uh, any thoughts before we we dive into nineteen forty seven? Ready. Got my bathing suit on. All right, gentlemen, here we go. The year is 1947. The president is Harry S. Truman. In the World Series, the New York Yankees defeat the Brooklyn Dodgers in an all-New York World Series in seven games. It was the 11th World Championship for the New York Yankees. The rich get richer. And it's a significant year because this is the year that Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. So he broke the color barrier and went to the World Series play with the Brooklyn Dodgers is the first desegregated team to play in the World Series in the first year that there that there was a, de a desegregated team. Huh. The song of the year was Near You by the great Francis Craig. Can't tell you I uh, am that familiar with Francis Craig's library. 
But, nope. you know, we learn something every day around here. The movie is Gentleman's Agreement. It's based on a novel by Laura Z. Hobson. It's directed by Elliot Kazan. Screenplay by Moss Hart. Cinematography by Arthur C. Miller. It is starring Gregory Peck, Dorothy McGuire, John Garfield, Celeste Holm, Anne Revere. It was nominated for eight Oscars. It was the winner of three, including Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress, Celeste Holm. Best Director, Elia Kazan. The other awards it was nominated for but did not win were Best Actor, Gregory Peck. Best Actress, Dorothy McGuire. Best Screenplay, Moss Hart. And Best Film Editing. So, Gentleman's Agreement, 1947. This is a, a, a New York-based movie here. Mm -hmm. We uh, get those scenes right as we start this thing. Uh, always a, a familiar sight for hometowners like ourselves to so see the see the city in in a different time. Uh, I always appreciate it. It is a movie that, as soon as I press play and it started, I'm like, oh, okay, I remember this one. There's yeah. no, it, it doesn't, it doesn't waste its time to start. You know, no, it, 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 goes, it, it kicks, goes right into it. Yeah, kicks right into gear for sure. It, it opens up with like an interesting technique of exposition where we just have like a little kid just asking his dad question after question after question right. to fill the old audience in. Yeah, I have, I have to say, right off the bat, I was impressed by the uh, the child acting in this movie. I I know I, I know, Kieran, that you're kind of a stickler for child acting. And, I am, and I, I, am. I just want to know what you what you what you thought about him. Little yeah, to, little Tommy. I'll say this: I was unsure coming into this how you guys were going to react to that because that can always kind of be depending on your mood. You can kind of be like, oh, "This kid's annoying the shit out of me," or "This is." Weird. I thought he was good. I yeah. thought he was real good, and especially since. A couple years before this, Going My Way came out. Myself and Joey R. covered that. And there's some painfully brutal child acting in that one. Right. And it's just only a couple years apart. So for 1947, they found a kid who had some acting chops. He he had some important scenes yeah. that kind of really, you know, really were linchpins in the plot of this thing. So I, I thought the kid did a good job. Yeah, I did too. I was impressed. I, I kind of got a kick out of that exposition tactic. You know, we, the last couple ones we scored, you just get like scrolling info, Star Wars <laughs> style. Of, this is That's, where we are. This is where we're at. Yeah, Here we just have a kid. Dad, yeah. um, what about this and what about that and what about this and what about that? No, I don't. I, I, it's a little surprising to me that it took him this long to like ask about his mom. You know, <laughs> like yeah. all of a sudden he's just finding out now in the streets of New York City. You think yeah. that that would have been covered before? When, but. Did, when did she die? Yeah, what's uh, yeah. You, were, you were four years old. And... <laughs> I think it's very. It's done well, though. You know, it's like you know, obviously having the little kid do it is great because it. You never question why is this kid answering all, yeah. asking all these yeah. questions because that's what little kids do. For sure. And then I mean the classic like Atlas holding the world on his shoulders. Grandma says you do. That's what you're doing, Dad. I'm like, all right, I got all the info I need. Yeah, we learned about Grandma. We learned about dead. Mom. Mom's done. Yeah. Well, I guess, I, yeah, I guess I have to slug Grandma. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> classic. Oh, Grandma's gonna slug us. Uh, no. yeah, this could be one where you know I could see Grant. You could go. You could go, wow, this was just a terrible piece of exposition, then go home and, and your daughter asks you a million questions, you go, oh, oh yeah, is this no, realistic? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, only she asks me questions about, like, Moana and Coco. It doesn't ask me anything serious, <laughs> thankfully. In introduction to characters here, guys. So what do we think about Grandma here and this, this character throughout this one? I enjoyed Anne Revere. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I, th I thought... I saved my... So you're gonna save for the old end of the podcast. Yeah. Okay, she's gonna come come up again in in Jay's book. I, she's she's a she's a great character. Um, I wish they gave her more to do in the movie. You know, I think it was just one of those things where they kind of set her up and they kind of show the dynamic with with her and Phil, and then she gets sick and she's kind of more or less 
out of the movie for the most part, except for a few scenes. I wish they gave her more to do. Yeah, front, yeah. the front of the front. Yeah, yeah gonna I, wish, I wish they gave her more to do because she was really good. And I will say, I, I left her out of my intro there. She was also nominated for supporting actress in this. Yeah. Uh, so there were two supporting actress nominees, Anne Revere and Dorothy McGuire, uh, in addition to Gregory Peck for for actor. So three and wasn't, acting uh, notes. The other one, home, uh, home, she was nominated for best. Actor. And like, Celeste Holm won. She won. Yeah. So right. there were there were four total. So uh. uh Best actress, two supporting actress, and then actors. So, right, this is an interesting layout. So, the, the this movie definitely got its respect when it when it comes to the acting, and I thought the acting overall was pretty was pretty solid. Yeah, I thought so. Can we, can we talk about how I don't know? I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a journalist, but I would assume that if I if I were meeting the editor and he's like, I want you to write this article, sit down. You might be here for two hours. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I don't know if that's how it works. You're going to listen to me talk for an hour, yeah, and it I'm, might be two. It's like, I'm going to give you a TED Talk here about what I want you to, to do. Yeah, that sounds like me getting you guys ready to do one of these podcasts. You know, yeah. like, All right, guys, yeah. sit down. We're going to be uh, talking about Gentleman's Agreement It's <laughs> many hours. Yeah, I, I kind of I got a kick out of the Minifee character, to be honest. I thought he was... Uh, I, I kind of liked his vibes. You know, it was... It was yeah, I, li- I liked him. I just... Out of all the people, in the, of all the people in the cast, I feel like he was the one that had the, the worst case of the fast talks. I never really respond well to that stuff. That so be, that might be part of this, the profession, though, too. Are they, are they trying to get off with that? Maybe I just think it's the time. Yeah, it's the time and the delivery. And this is yeah. seven years after Rebecca. Yeah. Rebecca had fast talks. Oh yeah, all over the place. Yeah. I just watched uh, Casablanca uh, last week, and it's like so. Oh snappy. yeah, they just it's, they, it's all about the writing and the snappy yeah. dialogue. Yeah, was that your first? Uh, your first? It was viewing? my second. It was my uh, my cousins, my younger cousins first. So oh it was, wow! It was a good okay. time. It was yeah. special. That's <laughs> it was cool. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's gonna be a fun one. They like take the you know they prided themselves on writing fast, funny, quick one line, yeah, snappy dialogue. So yeah, and and in regard to the to the fun snappy dialogue, I thought the screenplay was pretty solid here. Like I thought there was. Good lines. There were they mixed humor with seriousness. The, and, di- the dialogue was very good. Yeah, there were. I think there were definitely moments, particularly toward the end of this, where things got a little bit, a little bit forced into your face. Well, and, you know, like I know it's a book, and uh, it could have been a play for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. they 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 tell more than they show a lot of stuff. You know, oh yeah, yeah. Like he's not doing any action scenes where he's like discovering anything. He's like literally when he first decides to write. As a you know, and he's gonna be he's gonna say he's a Jew, you know that's like there's like ten minutes of like one scene where he's like, well, what would Dave do, right? And then mm-hmm. the next scene he's like, well, wait, maybe I'll be Jewish, yes. you yeah. know. And it's just like the succession of like scene after scene of just him figuring out how he's gonna write this thing, yeah. and it's never like a you know an event. It's just him like processing, like the, the the as a writer, how am I going to approach this story? And we literally just see him talk it out with this character. Yes. Talk it out with this character, right. and then he just comes out and, and figures it out. And you're like, "All right, there it is. Yeah, That's yeah, the, the plot." Whole, the whole the whole I was a minor speech. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of one on ones. They pair people off in twos in this, and then move the plot along that way. And then yeah, just people talking in rooms a lot for yeah. most of this movie. I mean, even with the couple shots in New York, was it? Am I am I wrong in saying that it was with him and his son? Is there was one where it was just like a either a green screen or a projector. Of did it's you, hard, did it's, you know what? It's hard to tell in these in this era of movies because so, like sometimes you can obviously tell like when he was having dinner with Kathy uh-huh. on her balcony. 
Yes. Like obviously that was yes. a, that was a, that was a, a projector, a projector yeah, or it was, like, it was a matte painting or something like that. Yeah. Of like the Williamsburg bridge. The, also like. the, uh, with, uh, when, when Dave gets into New York with the LaGuardia, those yeah. painting of him in the phone booth and there's the yeah, painting yeah. of LaGuardia back But the, yeah, the ones when he was talking to his, his kid, I don't know if, I mean, they definitely have like the wide shots where they're it's, walking through the city. With, 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 when they're moving, that's on set, but we're right when they're talking about the Atlas statue. Right. They're looking up at it, and you can see that, and it just you just kind of see what looks like a projector of people walking by behind oh, them. Interesting. I thought that yeah. one stuck out, stuck out a little bit to me too. So I don't know, maybe they had to redo that scene, and they couldn't go back to New York. As far as the 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 mom goes, though, that's a character particularly in that era of movie making that could have really been written weird and acted weird. The older, quote unquote, wiser or bossier woman right. on top can be a real over the top role. I mean, we saw it even yeah. in, in Rebecca with Edith, Edith Finn Hopper. Overbearing, yeah, overbearing, yeah. and she played it real cool, and I, I thought she did. She did no, she was it. she was super supportive. They do not make mother son relationships like this on screen anymore. Like the kissing on the mouth, yeah, like the or like hugging. Yeah, like he's holding her by the like, holding her on the yeah, waist. Yeah, like sitting her on a lap kind of thing, but like very lovey dovey. Yeah, lip, like, to lip kiss. Di- different, is, different times, right? And you, times, like, I'm sure. trying to think, like, when have I ever seen that kind of relationship in any other movie? And I really can't. Yeah. come up with it like that was they have a very intimate you know, they're kissing each other on the um, kissing each other on the lips like Tom Brady and his kids <laughs> <laughs> it's um it is an interesting dynamic setup here and it, it's kind of what I'm end up being one of my criticisms but you have the mother to the son and then the father to the son without you know the other so the, the dad the dad's dad isn't in the picture right. at this point and he's kind of you know led by the matriarch, and then he has to raise his son by himself. And I thought there was a lot of... It's an interesting dynamic you don't always see, and I thought they could have done more with the emotionality of that and and whatnot. So it's going to end up being one of my ultimate critiques here. But I... Uh, I, I dug like the breakfast scenes and then just sitting there yeah, and, the, and um, just being a family. The um, What always what kind of impressed me about this movie was... The fact that they had dialogue, but they also had something to do with their hands during the dialogue. Mm-hmm. So they weren't just talking, but they were, they were fixing breakfast. And the kid, even, yeah, was, like, was pouring different cereal into the bowl. And he was cutting a banana, asking the questions. A little Dude, sugar on the cereal. Yeah, but like, he, was, he nailed to all of his lines. He nailed, all, like, he nailed everything. A lot, a lot of breakfast in this movie. A lot of breakfast. Talking talk about hot cakes. And, yep. Bananas. Yeah. Now, let me ask you guys this. Did you, when you were growing up eating cereal... Did you A, put bananas in your cereal, or B, put sugar, or C, both? It depends on the cereal. Okay. If it was... But was there a cereal that you put bananas and sugar on? Um... Yeah, you can put banana. Sure. You can put bananas in that, in like anything that's like grain. I was gonna say straight like, up Cheerios. Straight up yeah. Cheerios. Yeah. Yeah. I was a I like, was a banana and rice crispy guy. Okay, so a little makes, rice crispy. No, that makes sense because bananas crispy, and then sprinkle that sugar on top. Boom. Right, yeah. rice krispies on in in and of itself are kind of are kind of bland. So yeah. you kind of put a banana in there to kind of spice it up. Yep, Cheerios too, and then if you had like the corn flakes or the special K, yeah, the banana. Like, anything that's not like chocolate or fruit based. You could put a banana in. Yeah, you don't need to be putting your like your fruit loops your fruit loops, in a, fruit loops in a banana sounds but, weird. <laughs> and yeah. I think if you're putting sugar on top of your fruit loops, you got some well, that's, serious that's, serious issues. No, sugar only goes on like grape nuts. Like that's <laughs> basically it. Put a little bit of sugar on grape nuts. Yeah, but this this kid definitely loved his breakfast. His like non spiritual discussion of non secular religion, where he basically was like well, the kids asking him about 
about religions or, and, and what, what's a, you know, what, what is a Jew? What, is, what, is, what makes that? Right. And the dad kind of explains there's Catholics and there's Protestants and there's Jews. Sure. I thought that scene pretty much summed up the entire movie, like in the sense of, so I, the quote is like, well, you see, um, there's people who go to a particular church are called Catholics, and then there's people who go to a different church called Protestants, and there's people who go to a different church called Jews, only they call it temple or synagogue. And then Tom, little Tommy says, so why don't some people like them, as in Jews? Right. And I was like, exactly. Like, there it is. Why don't people like yeah. Jews? Like, yeah. what's the point of hating somebody else? And the dad goes, well, I can't really explain it. Like, it makes no sense why they hate <laughs> yeah. Jews. Like, what is wrong because, with people? Because they have yeah. a different building? Like, like that's, that was it, yeah. yeah. Like, there that's it all is. It comes, that's all it comes that's down to. That's the whole to. point of the movie. Yeah. Why? It makes yeah. no and sense. This is, so this is a good time to talk about this because uh, we're having this conversation 70 plus years later. In 1947, we're getting right out of World War II and the whole Nazi Germany debacle and all that nonsense. I think that what, like, the whole idea of anti-Semitism is obviously way different back then from a, a direct social standpoint where they're making a movie like this. Whereas in 2020, it still exists, but I think, you know, we, I don't know, we view it in a little bit of a different way. You know, they're not far off from the trials of, of blacklisting people from Hollywood and, and the communism scare and all that I mean, nonsense. I mean, I mean, actors in this movie got blacklisted. Yeah, right? and the director. Because, because, the director of, because of this movie. And yeah. I, that, that's, I mean, that but proof is in the pudding right there that this yeah. is a major issue that needed to be addressed. Yeah, and Kazan was going to make this movie. The production companies kind of pulled him aside and was like, ah, I don't think you should make this movie. Yeah. It, it's a, it's, you're tackling important issues, and I, I get that, but I think maybe... Bringing up these issues is going to cause more trouble than it's going to really solve. It's just going right. to make people... And not only did he make the movie, he put that in as a scene in the movie. Right. Because if you remember, there's the the scene where they're at the dinner table where he meets Celeste Holmes' character, and there's the other uh, one of the other guys in there, too. Oh, uh, Irving or something? Yeah, and he's, yeah, meeting, yeah. he's meeting all the, the members of the staff there. Yeah. And the guy goes, well, you know, it's an interesting story, but do you really think it's going to solve anything? I think it might bring up more issues then it solves kind of so they that comes from the, the experience of making the movie yeah. that's interesting yeah. yeah yeah so it is very depressing watching this film and being like oh like this like if we would have just listened to the film in 1947 but and realizing it's still a problem in two, in 2020 you're like yeah like why can't people just listen to films we're trying to tell you social like yeah. real social issues here yeah and this film takes it like head on and we're still sitting here, twenty twenty, with still anti-Semitic problems. It's like yeah, amongst other this, issues yeah. that are going on. Yeah. Yeah. This this movie actually, it, it's there's there's a lot of similarities with the themes of this movie compared to the theme, you know, to what's happening today. Just in terms of, you know, like we all know that the that the, there's a problem with, you know, uneducated people just completely off the rails, just yelling and hollering. But like, there's also the issue of. People that are against, you know, prejudice and all that, but just not really doing enough to help help it along. And that's almost just as dangerous. Yeah, and that's a huge theme in this movie. Yeah, yeah, and this movie has has that character, Kathy Lacey. She is the embodiment of this. And yeah. Grant, we did the we did the crash. Yes, we did. Yeah, and uh, Jay, I know you say you actually. You're, I, love, I like that movie. Yeah, he's, he's a fan of Crash, so he's not happy with our our depiction of it necessarily. <laughs> but what I thought 
Crash was missing mm -hmm. was a Kathy Lacey character. 100%. Where everything in that movie was like, I am telling you I'm a racist right now. And then like people are just reacting. Whereas it didn't have that subtle racist yeah. where it's just that I'm just, I see it and I'm not going to do anything. I mean, we, we, said, we said this in the movie and said this during Crash, where it's like a lot of racism is not in your face. A lot of it is just like, oh, well, you can't sit here or, or just, you know, someone just being followed at a Best Buy something like that and I, you know I feel like gentlemen's agreement handles handles prejudice way better than crash did now do you do you guys think that there were elements of this that, that were dated today or do you think that this is fully poignant today I think it still holds true today I mean it, it's it, I think I think what the uh, the scope of the uh, of the movie is expanded it's not just anti-semitism it's you know, oh yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's you know, there's a lot more included with it. But I, I, like I said before, I feel like the themes of this of that movie are ringing really loudly now. Right, especially like that theme of, you know, what we're what we would call today like white silence. You know, and she even yeah. says there's that. That's one of the best scenes is when Dave, um, and her is talking, and she's like, "Someone made a joke." That's my favorite like, scene so in the movie. Say? Yeah, and she's like, "I didn't say anything." Like. You, that, would, you wouldn't have been as sick if you said something. Right. Yeah. And that's like, we, and that's big nowadays is how, you know, being, uh, silence is being complicit in, you know, anti-Semitism or racist things going on today. Like, let's stop being silent about our positions on these things. Yeah. Now, let me uh, ask, ask you this, because this is something that's kind of come up a bunch in, um, I know Jerry Seinfeld has spoke about it amongst other comedians. Where does comedy fall? into the the line with this is if it, it feels like these days i think that a lot of a lot of comedians feel like they can't say certain jokes or you know they're going to get canceled if they go in a certain route you know if, if you look at a show like a south park which they kind of make fun of everyone and it's it's satire and it's a cartoon so it's a little different yeah. but where is it like okay to make a joke and where is it where is it not? Where does that has that line gone too far? Where now we're just canceling anyone who who? I don't know. It's it's there. I don't think there is like a, there. The line that we're talking about is not straight. No, it's it curves and it cuts and banks and and everything. Uh, language evolves and perspective evolves. I feel like there is a place in comedy to push these boundaries. I don't know where that line is. Yeah, because I mean, we, normally we wait till or we do some somewhat chronological order with these things but you guys brought up that scene and it is a very that scene's a major talking point of this whole movie i thought that the character dave was uh fantastic played by john garfield yeah great character one of my favorite characters in this movie and he's really taking her to task for you know this guy who's who's making these jokes now he was saying derogatory names and, and using racial yeah, slurs I mean, that was that wasn't like he wasn't doing stand-up i mean he was he was being inappropriate and racist right but where is it okay for a stand-up comedian to do it? Where is it not? Is it about setting? Is it about tone? It's 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 yeah, become I, a major I, gray area there's, here. There's there's a there. I feel like there's a major difference between a comic on a stage and your drunk uncle at a barbecue. Like, there is there is a line, but I don't I don't know where it is, and I don't I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I, can't, I, don't I think we're qualified. Yeah, to find I, it, I can't I can't say I can't say where. I think it is. when you do a lot of stand-up comedians, you'll see it's like observational comedy, so they'll. You know, like I, 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 for some reason, I remember Lisa Lampanelli going after 
going after like in quotes because for her it was like make make fun of the gays make fun of the blacks make fun of this ethnicity and then at the end she was like i'm just letting you know i'm going after everybody because we gotta all like just laugh about everything yeah. and not take yeah. yourself so seriously so that was her thing that was the way she approached it like let me just rip into every yeah. group out there yeah but then there's stand-up comedians who are just like observational comedy it might be a black comedian talking about black people or white or black comedian talking about white people and it's like it's not like a black joke remember like like your racist uncle might say like a black joke they're not making like black jokes they're making observational jokes about races of people and i is there a difference between that because it seems like your uncle is saying it because he's a racist while they're saying it because they want you to they want to tell you something of that you might not be noticing that's right under your eyes. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I think under your nose. And I think it's there's part of the job as a comedian is to kind of hold a mirror up to society. Right. I think that's a big part of it, and the good comedian <clears throat> and the good comedians do that well. If you're not a good comedian, you're not going to get away with it. But if you're a good comedian, you might because you at least have. Yeah, or pelts on your horse. Yeah, the Michael Richards thing well, where he melts was, down, and that that's, was that's way hateful speech directed right there. Right you could just start screaming the end word. Yeah, like no, yeah. there's no joke there. It's yeah, just, right. exactly. yeah, that's just someone melting that's, down because his set's failing. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a little bit different. Yeah, and I think that part of this this discussion in this scene too, where Garfield's character is is calling out Lacey, is. You know, she's sitting there and she doesn't know this guy for a hole in the wall and he's spouting this stuff out like she's supposed to accept it and supposed to hear it. And, you know, it's one thing if, you know, you're amongst a group of people you know and it can be taken in context if there is context for something like that. Again, I'm not necessarily talking about using slurs or words like that. Right. But what did you guys said? White silence is the, the term you used on that. It's it's interesting how that how that works out with it, so... You know, and if we're going to take her at, if we're going to trust her at the end, that is she, my question to you is, is she, is she the character that develops the most in this film? Because she goes from silent, 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 and then at the end she, she, um, well, she gives, she gives the house, she gives the house to Dave, Dave right? and his family. Yeah. 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 Like Gregory Peck, I don't feel really changes much he doesn't he's always the good guy he's yeah always got the moral backbone he's, of this film he's basically the catalyst of the movie right where he's he's the one that's steady and everyone else kind of right actually yeah you're right the only one that really does have an arc is is kathy yeah right no one else changes, changes their character yeah no one else yeah. changes and i heard some discussion about whether Lacey's character was more of a supporting actress and she only got pushed to lead because there were two others already getting nominated and i think you guys just said it right there she had the arc yeah, you know, I think the lead actress is totally appropriate there because she's the central, she's the central actress there. Right. Yeah. And you cut and like there's parts during the movie where like I don't like like her, you know. Like I, I think you're not. I don't know if you're supposed. And that's to. what I'm saying. Like yeah. that, she did a good job. This yeah. this love story between the the two, the two of these characters here. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm buying the chemistry there. Really, it's, like it's a little forced. It felt a little forced From to the me. first date straight through, yeah. it just seemed... They get married. <laughs> They're ready. Yeah. I mean, that's the 40s in movie I mean, making. That's, that's I, the Code era stuff, yeah. you know. I, um, I, thought he had, I thought he had more romantic chemistry with... Uh, Celeste Holmes. With Celeste, yeah. I was really hoping to end up with her at the end. Right. And it, it seemed like that's where they were going yeah. with it. it right, it, yeah. 
I was going to ask you, is anybody else mad at the end of this movie? Like, like you're saying, like, why not Celeste Holmes? But no, he's got to go back to... Because because of her good deed, I right. guess? Because, I yeah, don't know. Like, oh, you're not a racist. Oh, let, let me go over your it house is, again it is now. Funny. It is funny, actually, because usually in these, in these movies, these romance movies, um, not that this is necessarily a romance movie, but there's a romance plot in it, it's usually the guy that does his grand gesture at the end to win the girl back, and... This in this movie is kind of flipped, yes, yeah, yeah. which is which is not really what you expect to see in 1947. Right, that's a good point. Let's yeah, talk that... a little bit about Gregory Peck here, and and so Grant, I, I think I'm similar with you in that this is my first time really seeing him on screen outside of To Kill a Mockingbird, which is just kind of something that's always been ingrained. It's like just seen in school at young ages, yeah, and I sure. saw it at Dulce. It's not, it's not, it's nothing foreign to me. It's foreign to that, but this is my first time really seeing him, and he's as far as his like presence goes and he's a movie star for sure oh yeah and you know and his performance is great but there was a little bit of disconnect for me as far as like what the character was it when like, you brought you brought up or one of you guys brought up about him taking him forever to figure out that he needs to pretend to be jewish to yeah, was, to make yeah, this work yeah. like they really crawled to that we're like you're like all right buddy come on we well, all see it now let's let's make it happen you know we read yeah. the inside jacket right, of the that DVD. was the let's thing go. yeah, yeah. Well, that, well, you're yeah. waiting for that it, it took it took about a half hour for him to and I'm just for the not, plot to start i'm not seeing like the stress of writer's block i'm not see, he doesn't he doesn't he wasn't conveying stress to me he wasn't conveying conveying grief to me you know he, here's a single father he's trying to raise his kid he just lost his wife and, you know, I guess it was a few years back, but his yeah. kids couldn't have been that many because not that old. You know, I don't get grief. I don't get stress. I don't get, like, the bags under the eyes from him. He's just kind of just just a six-foot-five movie star throughout most of it. And, and he's yeah. super compelling to watch. So sure. you're sitting there and you're, you're drawn in by the other side of the story. But I thought that there could have been he's, a little more connected to that character. He's, he's a very charming actor. You can tell right off. He like, just, just bounces right off the screen. Um, Great presence. Yeah, incredible. He's actually one of the only movie stars that's actually tall, which yeah, is, yeah. you know. But yeah, I, I think his character is kind of one known. He's just like, you know, Johnny Humanity kind of guy where he'll, where he does the, he always, he's a guy that always does the right thing and he always is steadfast and he always, well, but it's kind of like, kind of like his character in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird too. Yeah, Atticus Finch. Yeah, Atticus Finch. I feel like he plays them a lot, right? Gregory Peck? Yeah, I think that's kind of his his that's, that, that's, 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 that's so hauled into that. That's Greg, his, that's his like, typecasting. Gregory Peck's going to teach you a lesson today, boys and girls. <laughs> Unless he, he's playing Captain Ahab in Moby Dick and, and, and stealing his, the rights away from... And hitting so much that he didn't want to in Jaws. <laughs> we talked about him in the in the Jaws Man for All Seasons episode yeah. where Spielberg wanted to had the scene where Robert Shaw's... Uh, in watching a movie, movie theater, Dick, yeah. yeah, watching movie Dick in a movie theater, and just starts laughing and laughing until people one by one leave the theater, really? and that was going to be like the introduction of Jaws, but Gregory re- Gregory Peck refused to release the rights to move <laughs> Moby Dick for him, so he, 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 hated, he hated his performance so much in it. There you go. The uh, I want to talk a little bit about the the doctor scenes. We get to two doctor scenes. We get one one where you know he's just basically being introduced, and I I, I loved one of his quotes. There, I actually picked it from my quote, even though it's really. Little to do with the themes of this movie. But mom gets sick, has a little bit of an issue with the heart. Yeah. Goes in there, doctor comes to check her yeah. out. Green, Gregory Peck, trying to size him out. He's like, what's the deal here? You know, is she going to die? You know, what's, <laughs> what's going on here? Is she, is she... And the doctor goes, no, she'll, she'll be all right. You pull my arm here, doctor, what's going on? And this is the, the quote, which I love. It's a little bedside manner quote. I'm not minimizing. I never minimize at a time like this, Mr. Green. I don't frighten, but I don't minimize. 
And it's, I just thought that was a cool way of, of explaining how a bedside manner might work in, in a, doctor's, a doctor's perspective yeah. of it. it is. I'm not minimizing. It's, it is an issue. Okay, I don't I would, I would, but I don't minimize. So. I wouldn't tell you there's nothing to worry about if there was something to worry about. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to... I'm, I'm not going to do the whole. Either. Yeah, it's not yeah. the whole. You're gonna you're gonna die if you don't take your medicine. So yeah, he's, so he's he's kind of in the middle. He's like he's not he's not WebMD. He's kind of a step better than that. Yeah, and yeah. and the next time we see him is kind of when he's being judgmental about Jewish doctors, and and they do right. it. This movie does a very good job of covering all the different layers of racism from from the. What do you mean all the different places? You know, like the yeah. hotel, the yep. doctors, and, the and the different levels and layers of it too. Where the 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 self loathing Jew, the the one where it's like, oh, you know, yeah, those the you know the the guy with the doctor being the stereotypes. Well, they tend to, to overcharge they'll, they'll a little bit. Dime they're, you, yeah, yeah, they're gonna nickel and dime you. Right. You have the one who's they even have the the positive stereotype. You know, oh, you uh, you're probably an accountant, or you're probably real good at math, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, you, you must have been in like. Oh God, marketing or something. Yeah, like that. you must have been in marketing, right? Something, yeah. something like that. So they really, they really hit every every nose there with that, which is yeah, I think every, important. If well, yeah, they 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 kind of all these sly stereotypes. Yeah, that that you're likely to encounter, and you know. And another, th- just to go back to Crash again, and that was think something I thought was a little absent in that movie, where everything <laughs> yeah. was everything was hammer over the head racism. It's almost like Rob Zombie directed conflict. It. Yeah. <laughs> um. You know, the only thing, not the only thing missing, but he never, there's never, and I get that um, the uh, secretary's Jewish and Dave's Jewish, but he never meets a Jewish family that's being, like, persecuted or, like, you know, sits down and, like, literally is, like, side by side and watches a Jew become persecuted by, you know, a hotel manager or, like, stereotyped or discriminated against. It's always, like, him. Jews are, like, missing from this film. Yeah, the one... You know, well, like just that, just, that, the, one, that, just that, the one friend, usually, yeah, mostly, yeah. His friend, and, and that... It, you have that great scene where Tommy gets beat up at school for, right. you know, the kids, the kids Jewish, think he's yeah. Jewish, yeah, and, and he gets beat up. And then Dave goes, wow, now you've gotten to the root of it. Now you know where they really get you. Yeah. They get you with your kids. And now that you've experienced that, you can might as well stop because that's where it hurts the hardest. Kind of then goes into his little talk about his family, and then I guess that's the present, the, the you know the presence of right. the family aspect where he goes, you know, my kids, they don't your, my kids get it from oh they wanted to go to that camp but they're not allowed to because right. of this, or they were looking to go on this vacation but they can't because of this. Right. So uh, I thought that was a nice part too. And Dave has another cool line where Green is is basically letting him know what he's undertaking here. And he goes, all right, so here's how I'm going to do it. I'm telling everyone I'm Jewish. And, you know, I'm getting a whiff of it, and I don't quite like what I smell, you know. or what. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, well, you're, you know, right, you know, you're getting it all at once, and you're looking at it through a telescope yeah. right now. Whereas, you know, so I'm not saying I'm indifferent to it, but it's something I've gone through a whole life. skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're you're looking at it through a telescope. It's hitting you all at once. So yeah. that might have been something that would have been more profound as if, Instead of Dave talking about his family, if Gregory Peck witnessed his kids, Dave's kids, getting picked on, yeah. or and then witnessed his own kid not getting picked on, getting preferential treatment, I feel like this movie is, uh, obviously, it's geared toward Gentiles. It's geared toward people who think Gentile that awareness. Right. Yeah. The people who think that they're not uh, anti-Semitic, but they are. Right. And they don't know they are. They're just been ingrained by, mm-hmm. like... 
little subtleties of anti-Semitism that they're not aware of, like you're saying, Gentile awareness. Yeah, I, I think that the one one of my one of my major flaws with this movie is that they spend so much time before the article was being worked on, like the writer's block and the meeting of uh, Kathy and and all that. They really missed an opportunity to really dive deep and show all the various ways of of anti-Semitism is how, how that how that's handled and how that how you encounter it um, that is um, that's a major like point deduction for, for me yeah more or less yeah yeah and I'm sure too as you said it's geared toward Gentiles I'm sure that a lot of this is geared at at the industry also right. as most of these movies are yeah uh, and and how you know how Jews are treated within within Hollywood and all that and it, it, would, it would only get worse for them uh, moving moving into those trials, like you said, the the whole um, the blacklisting and and all that. Yeah. The other thing missing, um, you know, in reading about this was they you, they don't mention the Holocaust at all. Yes, yeah. I you know, I just that's like what three years out. Where they, you know, they meant yeah they mentioned like Zionism and Palestine and Israel because that's this is before that was even before Israel was you know, in Palestine. That was before this happened. Yeah. But yeah, they don't mention. Yeah, which is uh, a, a real elephant in the room too, considering the time frame. I mean, it was it's two years after World War II. It, it's like, uh, the, and the, one of the reviews I read said they put Dave in an army uniform, and that's like the way of you know because are they Americans, afraid to reference? I think they, they probably like were not. They were probably told not to. Yeah, they just weren't ready to to tackle. Yeah, they're that. probably they're probably told not to by standards and practices. Which is funny because they really, I mean, they hit everything else almost head on. You know, it's not, it's like big themes yeah. here, but they never mention that. Like well, that's, that's of. something that's, yeah, I, I feel like, if, I guess if you're a studio, you're like, well, we can deal with them not getting a, a, a hotel room, but we can't talk about six million people getting unjustly killed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we're in that code era of the 40s where, Everything has to get approved. Every they can't, you know, this and that. A lot of like you said, oh, all of a sudden they're married or they're getting married. You know, you can't show a lot of romance. And I think when you can't show physicality and romance, it's so essential for the chemistry between the actor and the actress to be there, so that you believe it and that you feel it, like you do in Casablanca. And and it just mm, wasn't there. Mm. I don't know who to blame it on. I you know. But it, the two of them didn't really connect, and I thought you, know, you guys brought up Celeste home, and she won the Oscar for this. She was uh, among all the the Oscar nominees. She was the only one to take it home, and I kind of thought she was the best actor actress on screen. She was it great. seemed like she was she was hit, her batting average was a, a, a little bit higher than everyone else's on there. Mm -hmm. You know, she seemed just really in control and and just owning every scene she was in there on. And it was like, her character was a little tough for me to follow my first time watching it this week. I had to go back and watch it today and then kind of connect the dots a little bit with her. Because like all of a sudden she kind of takes over in the end and she has that little monologue in the end. Yeah. And then you think that they're going to get together and then they swerve and, and go the other way. But I, I thought that she really, she really kind of nailed it in this. She's a little fast talky too, but... She's very spunky. But yeah. yeah, what happens? He's like, are you proposing? And she's like, maybe I am. And yeah. then what happened? Uh, <laughs> where is I, that? That, I was, don't know. that is where that movie should have went as far as chemistry is yeah, between her I, I and think him. What I got out of her was that she kind of represented that um, fun, party girl, but lonely. 
and a, a bit of a a bit of out there on her own and the kind of person that everyone have a conversation with even you know she has the the talk with with Dave about oh you know oh, I always find the married guys and you know he's like oh well you have good uh you have good taste but bad timing yeah you know and so she's getting along great with Dave she takes him out on his last night there you know she's getting along with with Gregory Peck's character she's and she just is kind of always at the end of the day she's in the game of musical chairs is another chair and I think that kind of ends up where she is in the end, which is a little bit of a bummer ending for that character. And her character was so much more likable than Kathy's. Yeah. yeah in, sure. in, in, every, in every way, really. Just, but I think uh, big Gregory Peck is probably just more attracted to Kathy at the end of the day. You know? I guess. There's a, a weird... Yeah, maybe that's why you don't like the chemistry, cause, but they're also like two different people. He's always trying to show her how she is secretly anti-Semitic and she's regretting him for it, you know, for resenting con- him for it. Yeah. Yeah. And like that, like there's nothing that they can like literally bond over. I don't know why they like each other. <laughs> literally, every every conversation they have ends in an argument about, well, you don't like me because I'm pretending to be Jewish right. or, or whatever. And it's, right. Yeah. And I, I, I paused. Have... I paused when you told me your angle. You know that she's all hung up yeah. on how he reacted. And and, and how he's very judgmental, and that she can read his judge. And another thing that I thought that this movie didn't really necessarily do so well, and it's playing into the chemistry between the two of them. There's discussions that couples have in, in, in comfortable relationships, especially if this relationship is going to end in a marriage, which it seemingly does at the end. You know, we'll talk if we think that marriage is actually going to last in the sequel for this movie. But I, I, I feel like their fights and, and their discussions were so much about politics and issues and terms, and then they just went the other way as... I don't think that relationships are that simple. I don't think it's just it's just like, well, I feel this way and you feel this way and you don't feel the way I feel, so I'm going to storm out and maybe I'll call you tomorrow, maybe I won't. You know, where I, I think that like in a real relationship, especially two people are going to be married, that there's a little bit more give and take and that there's a little more bend well, there's to this. Well, there's, there's, there's a respect that seems to be missing from this relationship. Right. I don't know if they really respect from everything that I gathered, it didn't seem like they respected each other all that much. Like, she didn't respect his work. He didn't respect her family. And it yeah. just, it just, yeah. it kind of, it's not a, it's not a good start to a marriage. Well, let's, and let's a, talk about, and a level of distrust. Yeah, yeah for lot, sure, for yeah, sure. And I want to talk about, about that distrust, Jay. It's, it's very easy to watch this movie in, in the way that, that Gregory Peck presents it. In that, he's right and everyone else is wrong. Because he's the sanctimonious standing up for you know, people who are, but like, is it like, is it the worst thing in the world to be like, hey, and she just kind of says it, but doesn't expand on it. Like, hey, you know, you're meeting my family for the first time. I realize you're, you're like living in character for the story you're doing, but like, I'm going to introduce them to my fiance and you're going to tell everyone that you're Jewish. And then like two months from now, you're going to come back and say, hey guys, I'm actually not Jewish. I know I really was deep in character and I was like, we got in that argument and I really made you feel bad and stuff and this and this and that. Well, but I was just kind of playing it because yeah. I needed to do it for the story. Like, that's like, I, I, don't, I don't hate her position of like, can you just no, be I, honest I, I when you're meeting like, my mother and father? I feel like, no, that is a legitimate gripe with Kathy. She, she, she was 100% right yeah. for wanting, you're like, we're going to get married. How about we just, can you just drop the facade? Yeah, for, for for 
two hours for like a couple paragraphs in your stories you can tell an anecdote about my uncle <laughs> like yeah. you know not to mention let's say you do get some good juice from that story you're not going to publish a story about some of my family members who you know i realize they have issues but does that need to be in print right you know and then the other thing where i was not on board with either is we're gonna have my 10 year old kid lie to his friends and and keep up this facade too and just he's, he's for like, the sake of and he's a new kid in school too it's yeah well so now the kid's gonna now go back and explain to everyone oh no i was just doing that because my dad was doing a story like that's not how like 10 year olds and then i get the point of well you shouldn't have to apologize for being jewish like fine but like we're talking about like 10 year olds and like new kids at school and like yeah. this kid is going to be very socially my, damaged for this like my, how about you tell the truth how about you just go there and be an honest little kid yeah my my um my major issue with this movie is that that phil gets out scot-free from manipulating a lot of people oh, he lies and manipulates so many people and like no one gives a shit like, he's just like, oh, yeah, I wasn't Jewish. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, you rascal. Yeah. How about the second it's like, it's like, you can't, it's like, oh, hey, yeah, you gave me a lot of shit for being an anti-Semite, even though I'm Jewish, but, and you're not even Jewish at all. Yeah, like, but, what, you know, what, what are you going to do? That, yeah, what happened to that us Jews have to stick together <laughs> yeah. conversation? You weren't even Jewish to begin with. It's, it's a good article, I guess. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> we'll that, go, that's. We'll but, go deeper into that, yeah, that, with, that our, is, with our uh, Twitter questions. Cause, yeah, yeah, but that is. That is inexcusable to oh, me. What about yeah. when the kid comes home from school and the girl and her first instinct is like, "Hey, don't listen to him because you're not really Jewish. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, like stop crying. Right. You're not Jewish. Hey, it's, it's just worry. a game we're playing. Don't worry, right. you're not really Jewish. Right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was and a real and Gregory bad. Peck's like, "What the f? Right. And then now we'll flip it around to where no, I think Gregory Peck has a point. It's like. All right, so you're you're not his mom. Like, let's get you're not even married to me yet. Let's back up and right. let me do the parenting here. We don't need you to yeah. hop in and be Miss Parent here. Like, she, but back she, the fuck up. She consistently shows who she really is, right? That old saying: yeah. when someone shows you who they are, believe it. Like, yeah, like throughout the movie up until the very end, that talk with Dave, she's a one hundred percent, you know, white privileged and anti and shows very anti-Semitic um, tendencies. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Where it's almost worse. Where I think maybe if if someone who was being a little more honest but is just telling you how they are, there's issues with that too. But the whole, I came up with the idea for the story. Like, I hate prejudice. She's, I, she, is, right. she is a, she's a hypocritical crusader. Going back to our discussion before, that's a big problem today where there's people, yep. they, they, are, they claim to be crusaders and they don't do anything to... To help, yep. they can make their Instagram posts and then they're good. Yeah, they move on. Yeah, from there. exactly. I've done, they, my, I've they, done my work for the day. Yeah, and they don't. They don't really do anything. Yeah. And I imagine this movie being a big uh, punch to the gut for a lot of people watching it at the time. And you know, anyone you who watches so. it to the day, like, oh shit, like that's it's, me. It's interesting that this movie has been called dated at different points in the timeline, and then a decade goes by, and all of a sudden it's relevant again. So it shows you that that word dated isn't really. That's not... We're talking about social issues that are going to continue to exist, whether we like it or not. And I think a movie like this is always an interesting conversational piece. Yeah. Because even if we're not necessarily talking uh, about Jewish people in New York, there are all sorts of, of differences, whether it's race, whether it's age, whether it's um, sexual preference or whatever it might be. Yeah. There's always going to be that group that might be being marginalized, might be left out of the loop. And how our society is reacting to it, uh, good or bad. 
So I, I think that's always, always interesting to look at. One, one of the scenes I wanted to, uh, I wanted to bring up because it was just kind of, I think it was one of the more wacky scenes in this, is when they're sitting and eating dinner and, and Dave's wearing his officer uniform and the drunk guy comes up to him and he's like, I hate officers. Yeah. I hate officers. Is that like a thing of the time? Or I've just never heard of anything like that. Like going up to someone in like a, an army uniform and, and aggressively and just, approaching them. Or giving them shit. I don't know. Yeah. And then the other side of it too is, is then, okay, then he uses the Rachel star on top of it. And then Dave gets up and grabs him and the guy's like, oh, no, 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 don't hit me. It's like, you think like if you're going to go after like an armed forces guy and like go, you better be ready to, you better be ready to throw down. You know, like, what, what did you think he was going to do? I think it's just their, you know, the movie keeping in the uh, tradition of like over, very in your face, like, um, you know, people who are being rude and obscene and then really just being fragile yeah, inside. Right. You know, yeah. once shit hits <laughs> yeah. the fan or push right. comes to shove, no, no, no. Like, they're not strong, tough. Yeah, what was and, that guy's endgame? Yeah, yeah like, game it shows, like, the true, like, inner nature yeah. of, of someone that's racist or anti-Semitic. Yeah, big, big mouth, no, uh, no game behind him. Who's today's Gregory Peck? A, a Clooney comes to mind. I was thinking yeah. Clooney for, like, Cary Grant. Would be my Clooney. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And we were, uh, yeah, we, we were talking about Clark Gable's had some Clooney vibes in last week's episode. He had to shave his mustache. He really physically kind of looked like right. Clooney a bit. For sure. Um, Tom Hanks always plays a good guy for the most part, unless you're talking lady killers. Little. But I'm even thinking Tom Hanks would be like the Jimmy Stewart as well of our time. Like this guy. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's like closer. Line them up and be yeah. like, okay, okay, okay. Hanks a better actor that's than Jimmy Stewart. Non-controversial actor, like. Always well, a good guy, never. For I mean, the most part. I mean, Hanks is, Hanks comes to mind. The Rock. <laughs> I'd say The Rock. Yeah, well, The Rock qualifies. They don't. They don't see. They don't. They don't put Rock out there as a bad guy. Often, I'll tell you who's always a good guy in his movies: Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold is. Arnold is. Wait, well, let me Paul Blart. Most this of segue, right? <laughs> get that segue right over it. Okay, before right. we get to our Arnold segment, I want to wrap up. Wrap up this one. We do put out to our users on Twitter every week uh, if they have a question regarding the movie, and we did get a question this week from the. Uh, the great Kathy Short, who likes to submit questions to us, and she did not take a week off this week. And Putting in the work, I love it. From yeah. Kathy Short, at Kathy underscore Short. Did you think that the scene where Gregory Peck's character, a Gentile, lectures his Jewish secretary, came across as a bit tone-deaf and insensitive? So this is, we, we touched on this a little bit already, and there were kind of two scenes. I, I'm thinking that she's referring to the final scene, but there were two um, scenes. The one where I think I think she's referring to the one where the initial. Well, no, the sec she the second her, one. She changed their name. No, no, I think it's the second one where she's where they said like, oh, well, they're gonna they're gonna you know try to hire more Jewish employees, and she's like, meet all of them, and right. she and she started like yeah, and then she started, made like started, oh, sometimes I call myself a little you know using yeah, swear word yeah, yeah, yeah. and um. So there's that, and then, but, but I think then... She's, I think she's talking about that one. He also then lectures her again at the end of the movie when she knows, which yes. to me is even a little more tone deaf. It's kind of douchey. Yeah, it's because yeah. it's like, you know, well, you, you were, you know, you were misrepresenting yourself earlier and lecturing me, and now you're telling me that you aren't Jewish, and now you're lecturing me again. You li yeah, you, you basically lied to me, made me feel like a fool. Now you come in on your, you, know, you come down on your white horse after you've been lying to me all this time yeah I, I, 
Yeah, I think he was out of. I think he was out of line. Yeah, I think he's out of line to make her feel. I mean, it's, it wasn't. You know, obviously, what she said was was shitty. But like, I don't know if it's right for him to kind of swoop in after he's been lying to everybody. It is in keeping with his character of just every of being that mirror and not missing anything from anybody else. Like, hey, remember, like, no, you're wrong here. Hey, this is wrong here. This is wrong. Like everybody he meets, he's like always correcting and reflecting so it makes sense that he did it that's for mm-hmm. sure yeah so um any other any other scenes or elements of this movie that we didn't that we didn't get that you guys think we should tackle anything come to mind that we might have missed i don't think so um we talked about my my favorite scene in the movie which is the uh the dave and uh kathy conversation that to me that to me guys kind of the the thesis or the theme of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think we get into that like when we talk about how good the acting is. That She does a very, they both do a very good job in that scene for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and in that scene is, um, he talks about one of his, that's the scene where he talks about one of his, um, someone, he was a, a soldier. What soldier he was at war That was, with. no, that yeah, was, Sluss, um, Slu- uh, Abe Slussman is the name of the. Yeah, that was, that was when he was, uh, Gregory Peck was in bed feeling sorry for himself. Okay, that's right. He was talking to then, Gregory yeah. Peck for that. Yeah. But I thought that was a super powerful moment. Yeah. And um, I, I'll say this. I thought, like, there were moments at the end where it got a little, like, after-school specialist it got where, preach, It got preachy. You know, where they're just, like, kind of like, all right, now that we've got everybody together, let's talk about, you know, like, the end of it, yeah. a Growing Pains episode or something like that. Well, you know, well, like, but, but I thought that speech... Where he talked about the guy who he went to he was a good soldier, a good man, a good engineer, and, and the last words he heard yeah. were someone just putting him down because of his race. That was tough, and I thought that they, if they were trying to get something through in this movie, they got it through the best through that little monologue there. He, yeah, um, Garfield definitely has the biggest, um, the biggest bombs to drop. Mm-hmm. You know, in this movie, and he and he does not. Um, he seizes the moment. He he does a great job with it. That's a good point. You know. Um, well, it, it's only. I mean, because he, he is. Uh, he, he is. He is. A, he is a Jewish actor that begged to be on this movie. Took a pay cut to be on the movie, and I, I think it's only fitting that he gets the um, the big, the big moments in it. It's better that when he says it than when Gregory Peck says it. Yeah, because yeah. it's coming from life experience. Right, right. Yeah, we're gonna do our awards. As we always do, but before that, we have to talk about another fine gentleman, wow. and that's Arnold. This came to fruition on an impromptu group text where we started talking about who knows. Oh, the Running Man came up. Yep. Yeah, somehow that came up. I don't, Kieran, know, I don't know how. I know Kieran being well, Kieran being a good yeah. How did it come up? But Kieran being a big Stephen King fan. Yep. Um, Richard Bachman came up, and then all of a sudden, Richard Bachman begot. Arnold, who, you know, opened up this can of worms. Yeah, and if those of you don't know who Richard Bachman is, he is the, it was Stephen King's alter ego pen name, where he was, <laughs> he wanted to see if he could write books without the big, the big notable name and still be successful, and he got a few off before someone outed him, and he had to merge the two, and then wrote a book about that. What book is that? Uh, the Dark Half. It's, it's fictional, but like a story about it. Killing people. His, his alter yeah, ego. his alter ego is killing is killing all the people who outed him, and huh. and had caused him to stop writing about that character. It's a little on the nose. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> that movie directed by George Romero, by the way. 
the dark half. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's good. Good, uh, a good bad flick. It's a good bad flick. Mm-hmm. Richard Bachman wrote The Running Man. You want uh, Thinner would be another famous thinner. one that Richard Bachman. That wasn't a, a quote unquote Stephen King. No, it was a, it was a Bachman. Yeah, Thinner was a Bachman. Interesting. Running Man was a Bachman. The Long Walk. Yeah. Also, Rage, which has been pulled from a publication school shooting one. King yeah. doesn't really want it out there. Ah, uh, Roadwork. Roadwork. The Regulators. And then he did one. Regulators, yeah. Regulators, he he did one side by side. And then later on, he did like a late Bachman book where he was already out of Stephen King and he did it. Uh, it's it's something Frost or something. It's one word and it's the opposite of Frost. It's Blaze. Blaze. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was his uh, return to Bachman. So I have Arnold's filmography. Now, does anybody know or want to take a guess as to what Arnold's first movie was? Hercules. Wow, I can't pull these guys. They're ready to go. Have we seen? Have we seen Hercules in New York? Seen clips on YouTube. Yeah, that's about it. It's uh, it's, him just riding the carriage. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, driving the carriage. It's a classic. It's your classic fish out of water story. (laughs) (laughs) He was credited as Arnold Strong, Mister Universe, in this classic. 1970 was Arnold's film debut with Hercules in New York, by the way, 1970. Wow. We have a couple here where he's in like TV movies and, and TV series. The next big one he's in, Conan the Barbarian. Okay. I don't have any real personal experience with Conan the Barbarian. I've never seen him. I know yeah. James I know James Roll Jones is like the bad guy in it. My sister is in love, well, was and still is in love with Arnold, so we would have sleepovers where she would bring Conan over and... We'd watch them all night. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, what's her name's in that, right? Uh, from Flavor Flav. Oh, Brigitte Nelson. Is she? Wow. Is she really? She's in one of these. Oh, Max Fonseca's in it. Well, wow. look at that. You're right on uh, James Earl Jones. Tulsa Doom. After Conan the Barbarian, he does Conan the Destroyer. He's right. just on his Conan run, and this we, next is. Terminator. And I want to shelve Terminator for the end. We want to shelve the Terminators for the end of the of the Arnold discussion here. Because I, I got I watched them both this week. I got a lot to say about them. Okay. I have some takes. I know, Grant, you got some takes as well. Table it. We'll be back to Terminator. Okay. okay. Red Sonja. That's Bridget Nielsen, 1985. Red Sonja. Okay. okay. 85. What is, what is that? What is Red Sonja doing? It's, you know... The fearless warrior Red Sonja sets out to avenge her family's murder and rid her kingdom from the tyrannical rule of evil Queen Gedrin. Yeah, I mean, it looks like Arnold a, in a headband, <laughs> baby. <laughs> it looks like a Conan, Conan the Destroyer ripoff. There. Yeah. Conan, Conan adjacent. Yeah. Okay, the next one will be the one and only Arnold quote that I will give you. It's Commando. I love Commando. And Commando is a classic. He plays John Matrix, this and he <laughs> kills the bad guy by. Stabbing him with a pipe through a uh, uh, a, in a boiler room. Correct. Yeah. And he proceeds to say, Why don't you let off a little steam? <laughs> <laughs> and it just yeah. shoots through his chest there. If now, I, if is I, that the beginning of his one-liners? Uh, he has a lot of one-liners in that movie. Yeah, but that's... It, that liner was very subdued, though. It wasn't... It was, he didn't yell it. <laughs> well, it come was, on. Don't let, don't, <laughs> don't, don't let the facts get in the way of a good I mean, Arnold impression here. Uh, but I mean, he does a movie where he he punched a guy on the airplane and like killed him. He punched him <laughs> in the face and killed him. And then the stewardess comes over and he's like, "Oh, don't bother my friend. He's dead tired." <laughs> <laughs> 
That's awesome. That's a young Alyssa Milano. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Love Alyssa Milano. Um, And, yeah, and Dan Hedaya when he's playing his bad guys. Yeah, from uh, Clueless and Blood Simple. Yeah. (laughs) Raw Deal. That sounds just like a classic bad action movie. That was a raw deal, that movie. There he is. (laughs) He's got his wife beater on and his Uzi. Is that the one with Belushi? Or is it another one? I, I think that's like Red Heat. Red Dawn or Red, something. Not Red, Red Dawn. Heat. Red Heat, I think. Yeah. Red Dawn is the uh, Swayze Sheen. A former FBI agent turned small town sheriff <laughs> agrees to help the FBI chief infiltrate the Chicago Mafia. Oh, boy. You know, yeah, Arnold, raw deal. We're going to get to the best Arnold fish out of water one, but you made a good point, Grant, with he does a lot of fish out of water movies. Yeah. He's like, I'm so big and gigantic, but I don't belong here. <laughs> it's funny. The humor's there. It's funny because I'm so big, I can kick anyone's ass, but yet I don't know the rules. <laughs> we have Predator. Love. Predator Maybe my second favorite action movie of all time. That's some of my... It's so, it's so great. Some of my earliest memories was being able to say, you're one ugly motherfucker <laughs> in front of my, my family and then not... Not getting in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh... He's you so know, badass in that movie. So great. So, it's talking just a about loaded, the, the cast, right? Talking That's the about first the Expendables. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Yeah. Talking about the the values of college education is one of my. You know, we all had those movies that we didn't see going into college that were popular, famous movies, and then college is just your introduction to them. That's Predator for me. Okay. Like I had never seen Predator, and then it came on, and then just stayed on. It's you know, so and, good. And that, that opening chopper scene with Little Richard playing in the background. Yeah. Just awesome stuff. And the boy Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers. Love Carl Weathers. Jesse yeah, the body. body. Yeah. Hell yeah. Dylan. And I think I mentioned this in the past, but there's a great clip on YouTube of the closing credits of Predator played to the full house theme. I still have not and looked that up. Yeah. Oh, it, oh you gotta you gotta check it out. Just type in type in the movie along with Full House. It, it is just Hilarious, and it goes, it syncs up perfectly. And I don't know why they did a sitcom style closing credits to this. It was amazing, but yeah, just just great stuff. I don't, I don't care for any of the sequels or other movies that don't no, after this. No, no, no. I'm sure RDB is going to scream and yell that Alien vs Predator is the next uh, is the next great movie that should that should be recognized. But no, I hope not. I don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to stop being friends with them. <laughs> But it might well, have to if, that, if that's his case. <laughs> the one uh, with Adrian Brody. I mean, can I get oh, that was that was Predators. It was like Adrian Brody, like Topher Grace. God, <laughs> the girl from Twenty Four. Yeah, just just no good, no good. But Predator is a classic, absolute classic. Mm. Next, the aforementioned Running Man. Love it. Yeah. And that that's a movie I didn't see until I was in college. Yeah, uh, just so much fun. Again, another another Jesse the Body appearance in this one. Yeah, it's, yeah. And Richard Dawson plays the uh, plays the TV host, the, yeah. the host of, of the Family host of the feud. feud. Great stuff. In classic Stephen King fashion, it's ahead of its time. It you know, this... is so. Now the movie and the book are very different. You said like, that, yeah. Yeah, they really have. Other than the general premise, they really don't have that much. But this, what about the idea of reality shows? Just yes, people. Being... That's there. People like you could just kill someone on TV and the audience will love it. Because That's there. Yeah. yeah, it's the yeah. the character. The main character is completely different. That's basically it. Where like the guy in the in the book is just like the cynical kind of you know, every man who just has the ability to 
you know, I think he might have been in it, he might have been in Vietnam or or had a stint there, and he's able to just evade all these guys and last way longer. It's not he's not he's not fighting over the top superheroes dressed as hockey goalies. You know, it's not yeah. that part's totally for the time, the Arnold yeah. movie. But it's uh, it's basically like Stephen King's approach at like a 1984 or that you know that dystopian universe where everything is. And one kind of cool thing that I I liked about that in in the book is, is that. He's in this, in this futuristic world, and he describes in the plane all the plane seats had TVs on the back of them. It's just like a cool yeah, like way uh, to see the future. Nailed it's like, it. You know, ha, like nailed it. Yeah. yeah, that they that they'd have that in there. So that's that's cool. And another great part of Running Man, which I really took away of the last time I viewed. I think I watched this last summer. The song in the closing credits is just as eighties as you'd ever want a song to be. I mean, it's, it, a, it's, it's a just, very, it's a very eighties movie. I mean, it, oh, and that yeah. song just like that song is just defines eighty cheese in movies. I like, I think if you could find a definitive song, it's that. I mean, maybe like the Goonies track with Cindy Lauper would be another one. It's yeah. just total eighties in movies. But other than the obvious, like Breakfast Club and that, but like it's 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 also like not a movie that you would a song that you would hear anywhere else. But like it's John Parr who's done a bunch of those like eighties eighties tunes. And, like you always hear like the best show on TV that you're not watching. This is the best 80s cheese song that you're not listening to. Right? <laughs> and, it, and it just hits you, hits you, the running man theme. But great, great flick. Easy watch to go out if you have a rainy day one day. Red Heat? That's the, uh, that's when he plays a uh, KGB, teams up with Jim Belushi. Oh, that's the Jim Belushi. Uh, Jim Belushi. Belushi. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What did you say, Red Dawn before? That's Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have Red Dawn on my watch list. I've never seen Red Dawn. Yeah. I gotta get into that one. Classic. Twins is next. This is into now we're getting into comedy, straight yeah. comedy. Arnold and Twins was a mega hit. That was a super oh, yeah. hit. Yeah, yeah. Good writing. Yeah, yeah. We, that was the uh, Rain Man year. I think that was the the second highest grossing movie of that year. That's kind of, that's kind of, that's, kind of <laughs> that's kind of funny that that Twins and Rain Man are in the same year because they were like they're kind of similar. That's brilliant. Yeah. Let's do yeah. an episode on that. Long lost brothers go on a mission across the country to get like closure. Right? Yeah. One of them doesn't want to be with the other one. One of them's using the other one really for yeah. something. Yeah. And the other there one's is, just innocent. There's just parallels here. How about Damn. the longevity of Danny DeVito's career? Always trying to help that out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, for sure. But yeah. I mean, he's just, he's found a way to reinvent himself all the way through it. He's in. Because he's, he's good at what he does. Yeah. 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 It's true. He's, he's great in twins. That is a great Come on, I'm your twin brother. Right. You forgot the No, really. The I thought I was looking in a mirror. <laughs> Next, he's in an episode of Tales from the Crypt. And I got to be honest, guys, the, as soon as you guys leave, I'm looking up this episode and I'm right. watching it. That was Arnold in an episode of Tales from the Crypt? Tales from the Crypt always, always managed to get like. Every once in a while, I get like an, a a huge star in like in one of their episodes, right. and 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 they get like directors. Like I feel like like Tarantino has directed an episode. I wouldn't or, be surprised. Yeah, I guess it's the episode is the switch. Oh, okay. that's the episode. So it looks like he like plays himself. I guess yeah, something to look up. Or he just plays XCOM. The Switch, the nineteen ninety episode of Tales <clears> from the Crypt. I'll, okay. I'll be looking into that one. Total Recall is next. Another movie I think is brilliant. It's a great movie. This is one of these... Uh, Paul Verhoeven has this knack of like making movies that are great on the surface, and then when you peel back the layers, just this, they're satire or they're about something else completely different, and it's beautifully done. He has another one that I should know, right? He, he has... 
um, Star Trek Troopers, he has RoboCop. RoboCop. That's what I was thinking of. RoboCop is a brilliant satire. Yeah. He did brilliant RoboCop. satire. And so is Star Trek Troopers. Oh, he directed Showgirls, too. Yeah, well, that was... Um, that was Showgirls. In Basic Instinct. Right. Yeah, so he, that's, he has had an interesting career, that guy. Yeah. I always just always think of the Family Guy scene of RoboCop, and they just make fun of... Uh, Basically, the whole part where they just like shoot him relentlessly in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why don't they do that? Why doesn't Red Foreman do that? Uh, you know, I watched Total Recall this week. I'd never seen it. Guys, I gotta be honest, it wasn't for me. I okay. hate, yeah, I hate to be that guy. I don't. I, it was like a little too much plot for an Arnold movie for me. I feel like very deep. You know, oh, that's Arnold Paul, Paul Verhoeven. We need to be like Arnold. You're a robot. You're gonna be the robot and go from there. You're gonna. It's complex. Is he dreaming? Is he not? Right. Is he is he an actual like resistance fighter? We don't know. Yeah. Awesome. Every time I watch it, I have a different opinion about it. Hmm. It's awesome. Yeah, I think maybe I wasn't in the mood for a. a were you, less, were you a, just a, you were just expecting like a dumb. Yeah, I, I think I was expecting the Running Man. <laughs> you weren't you weren't, <laughs> yeah, you, you weren't expecting like a a man's fight with reality and no or or like that uh, the Harrison Ford movie that I hate. Um, Blade Runner. You know, it was more of like a Blade Runner. And I, I'm not... Oh, you know, Total Recall is much, much more entertaining than Blade Runner. Yeah, but it was in that ilk for me. I don't know. Listen. Okay. You're wrong, but I okay. had to be that guy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it just isn't for me. I'm not saying it's bad. It just isn't for me. I would rather see him as a kindergarten teacher myself. And that's what's next. <laughs> <laughs> kindergarten well, cops. Not another fish out of water. That was, to me, is his yeah. greatest fish out of water. I honestly, it's this Whoever is thought of that idea. Is just genius. Yeah. Absolutely genius. Not another uh, another Reitman joint. Have you yeah. seen? It is, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So is so is Junior, but we'll 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 talk about that later. Nah. Have, <laughs> have you seen Kindergarten out. Kindergarten Cop recently? Uh, five I years ago, so. maybe. Okay, so I watched this a couple years ago, and I hadn't seen it since I was a kid before that. Oh, I've seen it, like, plenty of times as an adult. I didn't realize how dark it was. Oh, yeah. It's a dark movie. There's, like, drug overdoses, and there's, like, school shootings, and, like, there's, like... The beginning's like... very dark, and he's, like, a serious guy in the beginning. Yeah. He kind of lightens up. It's a heavy movie in the context that I watched it when I was, like, six or seven years old. Like, I watched it at a young age. Right. Like, why is this girl uh, turning blue over a ketchup packet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, like, you don't notice it when you're, you know, you don't have the wherewithal to notice it when you're, like, when you're a child. Yeah. And then when you watch it, you just, you just, it's a whole different movie. Yeah, oh boy. Dominic! Dominic! <laughs> Dominic! Dominic! Dominic, he's Dominic, kiting. I'm your father! I'm your father, Dominic! <laughs> oh, that guy. Oh, you're the guy. The pony Every guy. time I put my hair back, I think of that guy, <laughs> you know. When he's sleeping at the desk. Crisp. Crisp. That and the mom. We have the same hands. We have the same hands. Look, Dominic. He's same hands. He steals the train set from the dad leaving the voice. Hey, look what I got you. I like that. And I like when the principal, after she watches him punch out the dad, and then she's like in the hallway. She's like, great. Oh, great. That was awesome. That was awesome. And she was either an... Oscar award winner and Oscar award nominee, and she got, I think she got nominated playing a man. Oh, really? Yeah, it was like a gender crossover role. Hmm. I'll look that one up as we get to the next one. But uh, next is going to be Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which we'll show. I want to talk about. After Judgment Day, I mean, he's now like, he's, huge. On, he's in video games. Huge. You know, and, and, yeah, he's absolutely yeah. huge. Mega star. Yeah. Supernova. So what's the first, what movie does he do after T2? How does he... Dave. I think that's just a cameo. It's 
gotta be. Oh, he plays himself. That's the one with Kevin Klein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last last action hero is the uh, is the next. Okay, yeah. ACDC music video into into last last action hero. Last action hero is like. A long fly ball that just like just has a warning, just warning track power. <laughs> you know what I mean, it looks it looks like it's going to be a home run, and it just falls That's great. right it's right into the center fielder's mitt. It's another meta movie like Total Recall, where it's so self aware of Hollywood, and but it's yeah, just, I, it yeah. just doesn't work. I feel like I feel like that doesn't end well. I almost feel like that kind of like that was almost his response to like Sylvester Stallone movies or something, because like Stallone almost like. Knew the business better, and Stallone was like smarter than Schwarzenegger with the weekend to writing and stuff like that. And I feel like Schwarzenegger is like, oh, I can, I can do something that's clever and. Yeah, know. I do like the bad guy in that. I, I remember oh yeah, from Game of from Game of Game of Thrones, with yeah, the eye, with the fake eye and the long yeah, he was nose, great. The gun, a one eighty. Yeah. If I'd done a three sixty, <laughs> I would have turned around and you know, came back. <laughs> And came yeah. back to where I started. <laughs> hey! <laughs> hey, you do a, a 360 on me. Plays himself in Beretta's Island. Then, I'm not um, sure what that is. Yeah, um, and then uh, Veronica Vaughn's in that movie. In Beretta's Island? Is, no, oh, that's actually right. still going, baby. That and <laughs> I like when uh, he brings back the Ripper to the premiere. Mm-hmm. It's like, Jack, the Ripper! There's, there's, there's cool concepts in it. It it's just, It, it yeah. just kind of just... This is this is the mark. True Lies. I love True Lies. That'd be on my top five. That's a great. That's, that's a great movie. Tom Arnold's greatest movie. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, so. That's, that's great. That's a that's great buddy. Movie, you know, you know co- straight man and funny. You know, did, banter. Did you know that that James Cameron was willing to like pull this that movie from Fox or whoever produced it because they didn't want Tom Arnold. Really? Like James Cameron wanted Tom Arnold so badly, he was willing to. To bring it to a different studio wow. to get you know, to hire him. He knew. Yeah, it worked perfectly. That's such a great dynamic. He, they do an amazing job. Jamie yeah. Lee Jamie Lee Curtis, great, great, great scenes. Very hot in that movie. Yeah. Very hot scenes. And the action's awesome. And It's funny. It's very funny. Very funny. And uh, young Eliza Dushku. And yes, and uh, Bill Paxton. Oh, he's so as great. The, <laughs> as the guy. But that's, you know, he's kind of James Cameron's good luck charm. He's in a lot of Cameron movies. Linda Hunt is the principal in Kindergarten Cop, mm-hmm. and she is an Oscar Award winner. Okay. And she won the Supporting Actress Award in 1984, and I think she played a... I think she was the first person to win with the play, playing the other genders. The Year of Living Dangerously is the name of the movie. I don't know much about that, it. The title sounds familiar. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. Sounds, da- sounds dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> and she's also kind of uh, a regular character with NCIS shows. Yeah. Down. Next, down. <laughs> Grant, you brought this one up. It's Junior. Yeah, that's a mess. That's a, a t- like, who wrote that down on a piece of paper? We're like, gonna have a man give birth was, to a child, and it's good. We're was, gonna have Arnold do it. This is like that episode of South Park where Osmo goes to Hollywood, <laughs> and he's just like, and he's just like giving Adam Sandler right. Uh, like, he's Adam like, Sandler plays Adam, uh, Adam, Adam Golden Sa- Retriever. Yeah, Adam Sandler <laughs> falls in love with a girl, but she's a Golden Retriever. Oh, that's great! We'll call it puppy love. <laughs> and I feel like I feel like Junior is like one of these things. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger is a scientist and he becomes pregnant. <laughs> junior, oh boy! And, uh, that's a that's a movie that I've, I've, I've maybe seen thirty minutes of. I can't say I've seen a second of Junior. Yeah, you know, Eraser is next. That's my favorite Arnold movie. That's number one for you, huh? Yeah. I love Eraser. Great Vanessa Williams. 
Yeah. Save the best for last. I just think it's like you're saying, like, you wanted Arnold to be, like, you know, a very simple, this is Arnold, this is what he does. Like, what's better than somebody who's in, like, the witness protection program and just extracts and then just kills anyone who's going to touch that asset? Like, that's perfect Arnold. He was born for that. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. You got James Caan as the bad guy. That's right. That's, like, getting into the age of, like, the first rated R movies I was like openly allowed to watch in the house you know Racer was right up there with it and to go to Speed to Speed go I think was like was the go to yeah. to go back to your point at the end where, they, where the car stops on the tracks you know limo pushing on the tracks one liner at the end they, they, you know she's like where's what's his name and he's like he caught the train <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's perfect next we're moving into a Sinbad movie baby Jingle yeah. All the Way there's another one I've seen this movie he's more only times got a few duds but do you think do you think Jingle All the Way is a dud it's, it's not a good movie no it's, it's not good. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. Though Phil Hartman kills it in that movie. Great. great. Phil he's, Hartman he's is born awesome. For that role. Phil Hartman is awesome in he's this movie. It. You eat my wife's cookies. <laughs> those are my cookies. Put those cookies down now, <laughs> Jamie. Jamie. I'm the Turbo Man. Uh, Jamie, I've had it up to here with Turbo Man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, though. Like, we're talking like an Arnold Christmas movie with Sinbad. I mean. I, we put, we put forth the best no, effort here. I mean, yeah, Big, got, Big Show's in it. I wouldn't call that a dud. <laughs> Big, Big Show's in Jingle All the Way. He's one of the. He's, he's like the huge Santa when he fights all of them. Wow, and that's probably because I know the Big Show's in Waterboy. Yeah, uh, and it's, that's probably around the same time. So he's that's when he's getting well, Jingle All the Way. Uh, all right, this yeah, next one right. here, we're going into Clooney nipple Batman. Uh, I know that you have a good Arnold is Mister Freeze for me. Oh yeah, yeah. You want killed the dinosaurs. The Ice Age. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was not that one's. It's a. That's a bad. That's a bad one. I mean, it's the worst Batman movie I think, right? Oof. That uh, Poison this, Ivy is Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman. There's like the Bane. Bane's in it. Bane is just yeah. That's it's not a, not a great Bane portrayal there. A great soundtrack for this next one. End of Days. Oh yeah, I had that soundtrack. Oh yeah, Limp Biscuit on there, Guns N' Roses. Everlast. Jason. Everlast, yep. yeah. Jason Pollock. Do you have the list? Uh, Kevin Pollock. Kevin Pollock. Yeah. Right, right, right. Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne as the, as the devil. As the devil, <laughs> yeah. Now, that's one of the movies, one of the first movies where Arnold's getting serious now. It's an action it's a dark film, character. It's more drama than It's anything. a dark character. Yeah. Those are two. And he's got to deal with like serious psychological stuff mm-hmm. and... You don't see that a lot in Arnold yeah. characters. Those are two usual suspect vets, right? Gabriel Byrne and... That's right. And Kevin Kevin yeah, you're right. The Sixth Day. Uh, the, the Sixth Day and the End of Days. I got them mixed up. When sixth they Day was like, it's a clone, it's a clone movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting uh, Interesting twist in it. Yeah, I don't mind that movie at all. Interesting twist in it. I like it. the ending, yeah. 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 Now, this next one I have a fond memory of. And it's Collateral Damage. He plays Gordy Brewer. Well, this was one of the movies that, like... It got the release date got affected by nine eleven, didn't it? Didn't right. get like yes. pushed back a year yes, or something. Yes, it yeah. did. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. It was supposed to come out. It was supposed to come out in two thousand one. My memory of this one is is this is when we're seniors in high school. Yeah. I'm driving to school for the first time, and Howard Stern was on K Rock back then. Yeah. He was on terrestrial radio and listened every morning and would laugh so hard. I you know. Would try to keep the car on the road, and he had Arnold on promoting collateral damage. And I'll never forget this line because it just, I just, it was, you know, between Robin laughing and Artie Lang laughing and Howard Stern laughing. I just, they're like, all right, so you know, explain this movie to us. Explain this movie. And you know, Arnold kind of goes through the plot a little bit. 
and he goes like, so, all right, so collateral damage, like, what do you like, what is like the, if, if you like sum this movie up, like, what, what is the message trying to come across? It's terrorism is bad. And they just all exploded and like, oh boy, Arnold, you're really going out on a limb here with this one. You're really educating the masses. And then like, he seems like, oh, 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 oh. I heard, I heard of an interview with Bill Hader and he used to do, he used to be like a production assistant on film before SNL and all that. And he was working on collateral damage. And he said Arnold Schwarzenegger was the biggest fucking asshole. <laughs> oh, like there's there's a scene where like they they had like like a hundred they filmed this in like Central America, South America. They had all these extras from like the ta- from the local towns, like like two hundred people like waiting around. Arnold Schwarzenegger was playing chess with his friend, and like they were he's like holding a production for like an hour, and like all these people are waiting. And Bill Hader's like Bill Hader was told, like by the director, like. Tell the guy that Arnold's playing to like for not to forfeit the game, but to throw the game at chess, basically. And Arnold knew, and he's like, "Stop it again!" And they played chess until the game actually reached its conclusion, and all these all these poor people like were waiting, and like all this daylight was wasted. Oh my god, Arnold! Arnold, what are you uh, doing? Arnold? We'll do this one just because I don't give a shit about it. Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. Is he even in that, or is he just yeah. appearing? No, he's in it. actually in. That's the girl robot at the right? end. No, one of the no, no, ones later ones in replicas. It. No, he's in it. Yeah. That's, one, the, that's one like Nick Stahl and uh, yeah, I think he's, and, um, he has a cameo in the, the girl in from the my soul, one, right? one from my my soul girl, my so called life, Claire, Claire Danes. Danes. Yeah, he's yeah. he's in that. It's not good. Uh, Around the world in eighty days oh, with Jackie Chan. Yeah, and we will be covering Around the World in eighty days. It won't be this one, not that one. but there'll be the fifties one. Now the Expendables are next. Uh, Jay, you were talking a little bit about the Expendables movies coming into this. Yeah, the Expendables are great at making fun of themselves. It's a great idea. I think Stallone wrote that. You know, and basically yes. just got all these all these guys together. That's one of the movies, because like, as we can see, Arnold's career is like floundering a little bit. It's not Kindergarten Cop anymore. No, he's well, he's well past his prime. And so the Expendables know that and completely make fun of that, and it's great. It's a yeah. perfect, brilliant way to reboot, like boost everyone's career, but also to make everyone laugh and like, well, it's just is... awesome. But, yeah. I, but the, what was the, I don't know which one it's in, but my favorite Expendables moment is... They're all surrounded by like these bad guys, and then all of a sudden they all get shot out like at, at one by one. And then Chuck Norris comes into the picture as, as, and we know now that Chuck Norris is the guy who secretly shot all the guys around them to save them. Yeah. And they're like, Chuck, you know, where you been? And he's like, I got bitten by a rattlesnake. And after three long, excruciating days, the rattlesnake died, <laughs> <laughs> and it's at the height of Chuck Norris yeah, jokes. Ch- truck, yeah. So it's like so perfect, you know. It's such a great self awareness movie. That's awesome. And we referenced the crash episode a few times here. If you want to go back and hear me and Greg give a couple of our favorite tr- uh, Chuck Norris jokes, well, it's right there for you to check out. So the last stands, uh, escape plan, sabotage. Anything about any of those three? Escape plan was a Stallone. Was a Stallone movie. I didn't see it. That, that, that's. Stallone and Schwarzenegger uh, escape a prison. It's not bad. It's got a good uh, twist at the end. And there's this one part where this guy like cheap shots Arnold and punches him in the face. And Arnold looks at him and he's like, you hit like a vegetarian. <laughs> it's like, it's this ridiculous one line. This is like got to be Governor, or maybe he's like out of the Governor now. We're at 2014. No, well, that's, well, that's the thing too. Yeah, like he was, couldn't really do movies. He's in politics. Yeah, right? but is there... Is there 
yeah, look, there's a big gap here between 2005 and 2010. Yeah, so that's, so that's, that's when he yeah. was governating. That's amazing, yeah. right? Terminator Genesis. Nope. Is that the Christian Bale one? No, that's Termi- that the... Terminator Salvation. Terminator what Genesis. The, what's the is, new one? Is the Hemsworth? Dark Fate? Yeah. It's Worthington. Sam Worthington, you were saying? Yeah, Worthington is... That was, yeah, that's Genesis. That's Salvation. Genesis was the one with uh, Khaleesi from Game of Thrones. Really? Yeah. Or she's young, a young Sarah Connor. That's like a like a prequel. I yeah, I don't know, man. It's uh, yeah, it's just this, it should have ended at two. Yeah, so uh, let's talk Terminator now. Can we save it to the end here? I watched these movies this week. Is this your first time? No, no. Okay. But it, it's it's the first time in a in, few years. I was it was I was due. I was right. due to sit down and, and do a little back to backer. I love these movies. I'm a huge fan. Like Grant, I don't recognize any of the sequels. It, it's it's the it's the first two, and that's it. And I have always been a huge proponent of the idea, while, while Terminator 2 is widely considered one of the best sequels of all time, I am a Terminator 1 guy. Yeah. I think the Terminator 1, if it's, I'm picking between the two, I'm picking Terminator all day long. It's, it's kind of, we look at like the Batman Begins versus Dark Knight convo. It's like, do you want the one where the table is set and all the ideas are, are, are brought forward and the concept is established, or do you want to see that concept just click and roll and, and see all the all the bells and whistles go into action. I'm always for the setting of the table guy. I'm a Batman Begins guy. I'm a Terminator guy. And the, and the fact that he put that movie to film, came up with that concept and did it with a $6 million budget, to me is just so incredible. And that movie doesn't, like, you watch it and you don't think indie film with it. You don't think, like, small budget film. No. And he was able to put it together. Uh, I don't know, where are you guys at T1 versus T2? Where do you guys I'm, stand? I'm a T1 guy. You're with me on that too? Yeah, I feel I like that's so. an unpopular I, 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 love, I love Terminator 2. Um, I almost feel like the, the, the right comparison is like, alien, are you an alien guy or aliens guy? Right, and I'm also an alien guy. Because I feel like, because alien, like, aliens is more of this, not, I mean... It's, it's the war, basically. It's, it's, like, yeah. it's, it's action, and it's, you know, it's quippy and bold. I mean, that's James Cameron, too. But, you know, but, you know the first Alien and the first Terminator are more serious. They're, I feel like the stakes are really high. Well, the stakes are high in all the movies, but, and, you know, it's just... It's a lot more simple, and I, I like I like the simple story structure. Jay, where, where do you stand on the T1 versus T2? I'm a T2 guy. It's a T2 <laughs> guy. I figured. Uh, it's got all the classic Arnold things, like the fish out of water. In T2, yeah. he's the fish out of water. Sure. Because he's the good guy, and he's and he's doing all the things with uh, Eddie Furlong, uh-huh. uh, which is good. It's funnier. It's also got a better bad guy. I know, like, it's funny to say that, but I like the T-1000 better than I like Arnold as the bad guy. T-1000 is really cool. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's really cool. It's got better graphics and uh, it's just a more, yeah, it's a bigger blockbuster. So it is different than the first one, which is more like you're saying, like more independent. I love the T-1000, but I'll just love the grisly, unrelenting nature of Arnold as the villain. And, and like the choice there too, you don't really get to see him as a true villain Often at all, he's usually the Mister Superhero, and I, you know, and then like the second one, they're like, "Oh, we got to make him the hero again now." Because now he's a huge yeah, star. Yeah, he's a huge star. But <laughs> yeah, they, they want it. They want to sell toys. He is just when he opens that door and says, "Are you Sarah Connor?" Yeah. And just it's like, holy shit, we're off to the fucking races here. I love the nightclub scene. You know, the cops are just staying in plain sight. We're on our way. It's fine. Later on in the cops, we got thirty cops. He can't get to us. 
it's just it watching the just the unstoppable force of Arnold and that just mow through what's going on. And I love the Kyle Reese character. Yeah, I I love his uh, you know hopping from the apocalypse into just like this eighties nightclub or this eighties reality. Yeah. yeah, to just get in the mix. Got to be the most romantic one night stand in the history of cinema, no? It literally changed the world. Yeah. Now, I, I almost gave myself a brain aneurysm trying to fully grasp the logic behind oh, this no, today. Don't, don't do that. Yeah, I know, I know I shouldn't do it, but I think, I think I got it. I think I got it. And, and Terminator spoilers here. If, you're, if you follow along with us this long, you know, and you haven't seen Terminator, then just go ahead and skip to the awards. What I was having a hard time getting my head around at first was, how could John Connor be born without her getting pregnant by Kyle Reese, the first reality of things. Yeah, this is a this is a common question I have whenever it comes to time travel because that yeah, because it always has to start from somewhere. Right. This is why I stopped thinking about time travel <laughs> rules in movies. So there's there's what what I I did come to a grasp grasping of it. Okay. okay. There never was a reality where Kyle Reese didn't go back in time. So Sarah Sarah Connor's first reality, or an only reality, has had Kyle Reese in it. Really, by sending the Terminator back in time, they created John Connor and created the Rebellion. But we learn in the second one, also created the whole apocalypse to begin with because they left behind the technology that they used to build to build the whole system. So. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I, know, I know you don't like these movies, but Avengers Endgame deals with time travel, too. Uh-huh. They have to go back in time and get stuff. And they start talking about like the questions and like listen, just for like they basically said just like just forget it, and just let's because like Paul Rudd as Ant Man is like wait so it's like Back to the Future so if I if I go back and I like I, I see myself or I can alter it you know, like no that's not gonna happen there's like different splits in time but we have to go back to the original time like they explain it in a way where like just don't just it's shut that, up and right. enjoy the movie. Yeah, we're making a Marvel about. movie. We don't want our audience to think, so don't worry about that. <laughs> well, I wasn't saying it wasn't going that far. I feel like getting bogged down in time travel details is. Yes, you're, yeah, you're, just, you're just you're just gonna. I'm just creating you're work. Gonna, for the, you're gonna go nuts. I'm just creating work for the editing team. I think you know. Yeah, you're you're not doing you're not doing the editing team any favors. I wish you could go back in time and take this ball. Back. <laughs> I, want to, I, I want to ask you this about about the Terminator love story because I think like it gets a little bit of a bad rap, and I'm just wondering if maybe I'm just being a little bit of a sucker here. I kind of think it's pretty great. And, and let, let me defend it here. Let okay. me just defend it. Yeah. In an undeveloped nature, like it's a clearly an undeveloped love story. There's no doubt about it. Like they, just, they meet and it's, you know, and they, they do their thing and, and they move on and John Connor's born. But it doesn't need to be drawn out or, or romanticized as we know James Cameron isn't great at that to begin with. The whole epic, timeless nature of them connecting with each other and him basically falling in love with her before she was even born or or before he even meets her right i think it's i think it's a great love story in the sense that they didn't have to overdo it with romanticism they just kind of let the the epic original story tell tell itself yeah it's it's also really weird that john connor like sends reese back in time just to have sex with his mom (laughs) like if you think like he's like the general of the army is like Dude, you gotta go. You gotta go back to yeah, 1986 and, and bone my mom real quick so I can be born. It's, it's like it's an awkward conversation. Yeah, it's it's a that's a tough one. That's a tough one to have. Well, he he does say in it though. He knows he knows that he was already chosen to go. He already went. Like it like so that already he already. Yeah, I know. It's already there, it's so already happened. It wasn't really a choice for him. You know, he had the picture and always imagined her. And I don't know. I I, I liked it. 
I liked it. And I will say that the closing scene of Terminator 1, from the gas station to her driving off, is one of my favorite favorite scenes in movie history. Okay. Favorite. You know, I'm not yeah. saying it's the best scene ever, but just that whole gas station scene into her riding off into the storm, the storm coming, boom. <clears throat> I just think that that's as good as it gets. Yeah, that's good. Any other thoughts? Terminator 1, Terminator 2? No. No, they're, I mean, they're both, they're both outstanding movies, and I, I don't, you know, I feel weird, like, pitting one against another, but, you know, they're both, they're both fantastic. So we're going to do our BPC Awards. Uh, we hadn't done this yet, so, I mean, this is our latest point we're doing this, but what are you sipping on today, Grant? Oh, right now, I'm drinking um, Montauk uh, Driftwood Ale. The old Montauk makes its way back in. Yeah, um, and, I haven't had Driftwood in a while, I saw that, and I okay. picked it up. And I'm doing, uh, in the spirit of Halloween, and our horror... Fest, which is coming up on for the month of October. I have the Shipyard Pumpkinhead. We have a the the headless horseman on the cover there. It's a nice seasonal beer. Love it. We're up to the BPC award section, and we're back to gentlemen's agreement here. And we're gonna start with MVP. Okay. So uh, Jay, would you like to start here with your selection for MVP for this movie? The MVP. All right. So my MVP is going to be Anne Revere. Um. The mother just enjoyed. I particularly enjoyed the. I'm pretty sure the last scene she's in in the movie, which is actually my favorite quote of the movie. And she's just gone through her illness. She's witnessed what Phil has done. Right. She reads the article, and the quote is the scene where she's talking to Phil. She says, "You know something, Phil? I suddenly want to live to be very old. Very." I want to be around to see what happens. The world is stirring in very strange ways. Maybe this is the century for it. Maybe that's why it's so troubled. Other centuries had their driving forces. What will ours have been when men look back? Maybe it won't be the American century after all, or the Russian century, or the atomic century. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it turned out to be everybody's century? When people all over the world, free people, found a way to live together? I'd like to be around to see some of that, even the beginning. I may stick around for quite a while. Nice. That's so, great. Yeah. So I love that quote, and I just loved I loved her in the movie. I loved the way she delivers that, and uh, I love how she's like, yeah, you know, the always supporting mother to yeah. <laughs> to him. Yeah, and, the, and that family uh, family dynamic they had too. Great, great stuff. Yeah. yeah well said. Great. Um, my MVP is... Uh, is John Garfield as Dave Goldman. He really is the, um, as much as Gregory Peck drives the plot, he is the one that really hits it home. What he brings to the table, how he kind of opened up people's eyes through just just him living his life as a Jewish man. The whole interaction with Kathy at the end is just A+. plus. Yeah, I mean, he's, he had a great presence in this, in this movie. He was, as really, he was one of the, to Jew- well, there's a few Jewish people in it, of, of course, but he was one of the main uh, the main characters. He was really that presence in there, and I think that's a that's a great choice. I'm for my MVP. I'm going off screen. If I had if I was restricted to being on screen, I would also uh, have have chosen the Dave Goldman character, right? And and John Garfield. It, it would be very easy to make that character the one who is pushing the exposition and is the preachy one, and is the one who's... But he was more of an output than an input in that. He didn't speak unless someone asked him. Right. And he, he even says at one point, anti-Semitism is your thing. I'm, I'm on the sidelines for this. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not... So I, I really liked him a lot. If I had to stick on screen, I wouldn't pick that. I'm going to go with the director, Elliot Kazan. Okay. I think that this was a hard movie 
to make. There were some problems in the filming of it. I don't think that at the end he was 100% in love with the product that went out there. He ended up winning Best Director for it anyway. He had his issues with Gregory Peck and all that. Uh, there were some, some dynamic issues. Peck was asked about it years later when they said, oh, I heard you didn't get along. And he goes, well, you know, it's not that we didn't get along. It's that I was immature and he was the director and he had a vision and I wanted to do it my way. So he, years later, he kind of re, you know, where in the time took, they didn't get along. Right. He but took, he, he said, he took another look and his ego. Yeah. And there. he goes, you know what? It was his movie and I kind of made it about myself a little bit. But I thought that the fact that the producers were trying to squash this thing. Yeah. Not only did he make it, but he put that scene in there, you know, kind of sticking it in their face. He suffered a bit later on. He paid the price for making this movie in, in those trials and, and he lost some friends throughout the trial process and the whole blacklisting ordeal. Right. And we're going to talk about him again with the On the Waterfront episode. And most importantly, the fact that in 2020 there can be that many parallels, even not even necessarily with anti-Semitism, but with everything that we've been dealing with this year. It's just, it's a, it's a good discussion piece. Whether it's necessarily one you want to always talk about everything in, in a podcast like this, where we usually just have fun and, and goof around a little bit as much as we can. But even if the microphone's off and you just want to, talk to someone about about the layers of this thing it's, this is an interesting yeah. piece to look at so I'm, I'm giving him some some shouts there and, and giving the mvp to elliot kazan that's a good call lvp is next my lvp is more of a concept than it is an actual person on this just the fact that phil can go around saying he's jewish and saying he's not jewish and kind of manipulating kind of manipulating the world around him without any consequences yeah i feel like that's that's a tough look and I feel like if, if this movie were made today, that would be something that so that'd be something you have to deal with. And because of the time, I guess, or the hero never, the hero never falls or whatever. The hero never does anything wrong. Yeah, I just, mean, it's for it's for a good cause, and he, he you know he did right by by the article, but didn't do some great things for that. Man, you know, I could I could put I could put the Gregory Peck character on blast here too. I won't because I don't think I don't think without his charm this movie would have won Best Picture. Oh, he definitely sells yeah, it. So I, it's t like I I kind of think that this movie could have been better if he would have bought into certain things. So I think that he lacks value there. But it's tough to call him an LVP. Where I don't I think if you put oh, a replacement player in, it's no. I know what you're saying. You're, yeah. you're, you're going with the concept of right. Of it's not. His yeah, yeah. He, he did a great job. Yeah. It's just... My LVP is I'm going more Joey R with this one. <laughs> I'm going with the drunk guy who hates officers because you know you're gonna pick a fight with a, with a, a military officer having dinner and then you're going to use a racial slur and, and then he's going to grab your shirt and you're not even going to put your hands up you know you're just gonna, yeah. you're going to melt he's my LVP there so I, I went I went full Joey R on that one okay you know characters who just make bad decisions and piss me off sure. so. Jay LVP LVP's tough if I was pushed to it ideas I I rattled around my brain were Gregory Peck just because he never changes but then you can't fault Gregory Peck for just being good at what he does, which is, right. you know, being yeah. the, the moral. A little high horse. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's the, he's in no way an LVP in that sense. Um, yeah, it's like the, it's like the, like the basketball players in buying the system but puts up 45 points a night. So it's like, <laughs> all right, well, I think we need a new system. Right? And I was like, well, maybe Dorothy McGuire because she kind of bugs me and, uh, you know, and then I'm like, no, but that's just really good acting. You know, like we she's said. She's supposed like, to bug right. you, yeah. Dorothy so. McGuire does a great job, so she's not the LVP. So I'm just going to pick John Minifee. Uh, just Minifee. because if, he's... If, 
because yeah. I, I, I'm also going to recast him when it comes to that. So it's my it's recast, just, too. It's my recast also. Wow, I love look it. Look You know what? I think if you kind of look at things, this is a pretty good cast, a pretty good performance. It's it's like, yeah, I, I, was like, I was like, there's no way I can recast anybody, so I went with a second-tier character. Yeah, yeah and, and I think if you just look at like the numbers, you know, Minifee's your he's bringing the least value to the table out of like someone who's carrying a bunch of lines. So, but this is a good one to kind of pick around and come up with a funny another kind of concept to it. But it is interesting that we all mentioned Gregory Peck, and it, where there is an element of him where he he kind of lacked a little value into the over the over picture. Yeah, I, right. I feel like if if they if this movie just spent less time of him before he started working before he went undercover, basically, they could have had the freedom to explore more themes and. Explore and go deeper into this this underbelly that is anti-Semitism. It, they, I think they missed an opportunity to get to get kind of get dirty a little bit. Yeah, you know? make him three dimensional. Make him three dimensional and make him suffer a little bit. Right. Yeah. Honorable mention. I'll go first. Okay. I'm going with Celeste Holm. Yeah, me too. Yeah, she's uh, she took home the gold with the. She totally deserved it. I thought that she she's had wonderful. the most. Yeah, in a good cast with good performances, I thought she had the most unique character on there, and the one that kind of had you, the, the one that made made you think the most i will say this about her character is maybe this is the point of it because like at first you meet her and she seems flighty and kind of vapid and and everything like that but she morality wise she yeah. had the she had a great character mm-hmm. she was just steady she was steadfast she believed in what she believed and she believed in the right thing and she didn't take any crap yeah there wasn't know? a and there wasn't a a phoniness to her she no, was out there no, she, she was, was out not there a, no she was the the true article, the genuine article. Yeah, and and there for a good time, too. Participation award goes Celeste Holm. And we're going to talk about her again in the All About Eve episode. She's fantastic in that movie, too, so I'm looking forward to that whenever that time comes. Jay? Uh, the writer, Laura Z. Hobson, for creating this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know? Cool. Um, just diving into themes at a time when you weren't supposed to maybe dive into themes like this, and she did, and... You know, it's uh, obviously enabled a movie that won Best Pictures, so she started it all. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Did we, Grant, did you give her your quote? I did not give my quote. Okay, so this is a good time for that. All right, so my quote is when um, when Phil decides to go to um, that resort to confront them about, the, um, about them being restricted. Oh, we didn't even talk about that scene. That was a good scene. Yeah, yeah. Where he, uh, I feel yeah. like I feel like that was I feel like that's an accurate depiction of of anti-Semitism or racism. Yeah, where it's like super on the sly and no one really talks about it out loud. Yeah, they're not gonna say it to you, but they're they, not they say just it. they just do everything they can to cut you at the knees. Yeah, yeah. When Kathy tells him not to go or whatever, he says mm-hmm. uh, they are more than nasty little snobs. Kathy, you call them that and you can dismiss them. It's too easy. They're persistent little traitors to everything this country stands for and stands on. And you have to fight them. Not just for the poor, poor Jews, as Dave said, but for everything this country stands for. And to me, in a nutshell, I feel like that's what the movie is kind of about. Is as You can call these, call these people, oh, they're just bigots, they're just intolerant, whatever, but that doesn't do any good. Yeah. You know, just labeling them doesn't do anything, but you have to actively go against them to make a difference. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a great quote. It's a great quote. And uh, I think you mentioned your favorite scene of the movie, Jay, already? I mentioned mine. Oh, uh, Grant mentioned it, which was what? Yeah, Kathy and Dave's conversation about the joke. And Jay, how about you? What was your scene of the movie? Mine was um, 
it's it's the speech. It's Anne, Anne Revere's speech about suddenly wanting to live to see the world change for the better. Yeah. For me, it was... Well, I, I love the scene of the kid coming back and after being beat up. I thought there was some emotionality in that scene that didn't exist in other parts of the movies. But for me, it was... John Garfield telling the story about his buddy who was who got hit with the uh, with the grenade or or whatever he was hit yeah. with uh, ten feet away from him. And the last thing he heard was someone just diminishing him. And he was a good good man, good soldier, good engineer, and that's the last thing he heard. Yeah, I, I thought that that's, was like that's a tough scene. It, it, this was movie spent a lot of time trying to make me feel things. I feel mm-hmm. like, and that one kind of got me. Yeah, that one got me. Yeah. Time machine recast. Take anyone, anytime. Okay. Put them in the time machine. We don't have to worry about time loops or time holes or uh, and, space-time continuum. And anyone like, having sex with anyone's mother. Yeah, so send them yeah. back. If, well, I mean, listen, if they go back there and they're, they're up to whatever <laughs> they want to do, they're going to do. We don't have to explain it is the point. Right. Uh, we all, we've already confessed, we've all recasting Minifee. I love it. Yeah. I, I really hope that yeah. at least two of us have the same one. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I'm, uh, it's possible. That's funny. I actually... <laughs> I think I'm going to do a mid-change just because we said them. So okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll come back to you. All right, Grant, you can go first. All right, mine is, mine is Menifee. Okay. And uh, J.K. Simmons. Oh, God yeah. damn it! <laughs> Suck it! <laughs> Suck it, Kieran! Oh, wow. yeah, look at that. Right. You <laughs> got me. Is he the guy who's Spider-Man? Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. Spider-Man. <laughs> wow, you got me, Grant. Uh, damn it. I do have a backup. Yeah, I, a backup. I got him, baby! Oh, that stings. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Right, he is just great for that, though. Yeah. Would be would nail that. And add an extra element of humor to it, too. That's sure. Great. Good, Good stuff. You. Good on you, lads. Uh, Jay, who did you have for Dan for Hedaya? Oh, that's awesome. Dan Hedaya. From Blood Dan Hedaya. S- yeah, from Blood Simple and Clueless. Wow. Well done. In the in that same role, Menifee. Right. Very good. All right, so I um my backup here and I I this was my original recast, like right out of the gate, I'm like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do it. But then I really kind of liked the performance a little more the second time I viewed it, like when I watched it today. And I'm like, eh, I'm going to back off. I don't want to recast her. It is going to be Mrs. Green. And Revere. And Revere. And I'm going to put Frances McDormand in that role. That's interesting. You know, a, uh, a three billboards aged Frances McDormand, or a 2020 Frances McDormand. Put her in that. I think, you know, you give her... <laughs> she, doesn't have to, she doesn't have to be in the whole movie. You're just, you know, so we're, we're not... We're not running up the uh, the cost of paying the actress too high. You know, we just get her in the meeting, get her in the end. She does a couple scenes, and she could take that role. If she, they look kind of similar. I think she'd slide right into you that. You know who Anne Revere reminds me of, who I would have recasted, go back to American Beauty, full circle, Allison Janney. Yeah, Allison yeah, Janney could get there, too. Yeah. That is very good. Yeah. That's a great one, too. Yeah. Could Rob Zombie remake <laughs> Gentleman's Agreement? Uh, all right. So I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm treating this as if I was a movie producer. And I was, and not not producer. I, was, I worked for the studio, and I was given the test to hire a director for this movie. What I would need is I would need someone to handle an issue like this that is, you know, sensitive and complex. I would need someone to treat it with a nuance, and I would need it to treat the characters that are affected by this with dignity and respect, <laughs> and someone that understands human emotion. And can and can portray the human element correctly on screen. So, having said that, <laughs> what are you getting at? Rob Zombie is on my short list of people I wouldn't call in a million years to direct this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would never 
in a million years have him handle a movie about anti-Semitism in America? A simple no would have sufficed. <laughs> Cannot, you went straight. You went straight. Billy Madison. I on cannot. I, I cannot stress enough how much I hate this category. I award Rob Zombie no points, and may God have mercy on his soul. Yeah, I I don't see any worlds where where he where Rob would tackle this. Yeah, Yeah. Oh no. Okay. Do, do we find room for Robert Shaw? Anybody? Yeah, I, I I I threw him in as like a home like a bum on the street. He could have been the guy. I hate uh, the drunk guy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd be yeah. interesting. Yeah. Although I feel like he would have been like he he would have put up his dukes at least. Right. He yeah. Said, Let me see your hands. <laughs> yes. I have hands. him. I have him. <laughs> when on the scene where Gregory Peck is kind of walking and thinking and trying to figure this story out, and he walks over. The overpass, and you get a oh, the over the FDR, a little shot yeah. of yeah, and you get a little shot of the, um, of the water there. I have in a boat. Robert Shaw dressed as Captain <laughs> Ahab, going ah, <laughs> because, because he because he wanted that. And there's a little white whale kind of going down the river, and he's chasing <laughs> after him, and he's pointing at the camera, and he goes, "I'll make my own movie." So yeah, yeah. so that's all I got, or yeah. maybe just laughing. I just I just dressed have... as Captain Ahab. <laughs> I just have him as a, as a uh, as an angry bum on the street yelling out. Yeah, that works. Insensitive things. <laughs> one to five. How it's shot. Performances. Oh. How it's written. The performances in this one. One to five. One being the lowest. Five being the highest. Jay, what do you give it? Uh, on screen performances. Five. Five. I give it a I give it a four. It's uh, I mean they're all they're all solid performances, but it was there was nothing like extraordinary to me in these performances. They're all good, but there was nothing extraordinary. Yeah, I I am gonna go with a four two grand. I think for to get a five out of me, I think in in addition to have everything be solid and well rounded, you got to have that one memorable performance, either of an actress or an actor. And I thought that you know Gregory Peck's his performance here was lacking a little bit for me in, yeah. in emotionality and in getting. I didn't get the grief. I didn't get the stress. I just you know he he did what he does well, but I needed more out of it to make this one work. So four for me. Uh, how about we shot three three five. Three and a half. It's just you know, it, it's not shot incompetently. Um, there's nothing remarkable about it. I, I don't think. Yeah. I, I do like I do like them when they're fixing plates and they're actually having activities while they're while they're having dialogue. But mm-hmm. I'm not sure what's if that falls under that or not. Yeah, that would dove fall under that. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I go four. There's nothing really hard to shoot here, but it's all framed very well. You know, obviously a very competent director. I'm gonna go be tough on this one. I'm going to. Okay. A little hometown bias. We do New York City movie. I need a little more of the city there. He gave it to us right in, in the beginning. Uh, you know, then it would have given him to three, but that projector killed me. The fake, the fake New York streets with him and his son standing in front of it. That that got me. And just a lot of just people in rooms. Like, give me a little more. Give me a little more. Yeah. I thought so. I'm I went to. You haven't pointed out the technological. Um, t- difficulties they're going to have explaining you know like uh american in american beauty like the beeper you had a problem with the 1999 beeper yeah <laughs> like where's your uh yeah what, well the, what's your well, issue I, with the 1947 i uh, think i don't i you know i don't think that's it i don't yeah yeah well that's phones i don't know i think yeah. that i think that see like older movies like that they don't I don't show think so much technology. Being that dated because you know, I mean, yeah, maybe him visiting the uh, the phone booth to make the, to make the call, <laughs> but but we were using phone booths yeah, in the in the nineties. The, the thing know? is, like in, in, the, in the forties, there weren't there weren't as much. 
I mean, there might have been a Model T Ford rolling there or so. <laughs> and I had the There isn't that much technology to like that's like handheld and accessible, so you don't see it a lot. Oh, so it's God. not easy to. I'm glad you brought this up, Jay, because I absolutely did have a note on this that I forgot. <laughs> Thank you. See? Wow, I almost missed this whole little segment that I wanted to do. I got my serial segment in, but did either of you guys ever own a typewriter? Yeah, I still do. You still have one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Grant, did you ever uh, own a typewriter? No, but I used to, my mom used to work at an animal hospital, and they had a typewriter in the back, and when I would go, like, hang out there, I would play around, I would play around on it. Yeah, I had my dad's office the same thing, too. Yeah. I would be in my dad's law office and just he'd be bad, just be messing cool, around. Yeah. It, is, it was fun. Preach. We kind of, our age kind of just missed the typewriter. You know, the computer yeah. started to pop up right when we're, I mean, like, I had I had a computer class when I was in, like, third grade, I think, second grade. There were yeah, computers sure. around. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know my, my sister, who's a bit older than I am, she had a word processor, like, when she went to college and then when she was in high school. Like, that was word process. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those, Kieran, where they're, like, this big, they're like, a, uh-huh. they're like, I don't know, three feet across, and they're, they're built like brick shit houses. <laughs> yeah, right. And there's like a little screen that you type into. It's like, it's basically like a, a 40 pound iPad or something. Wow. Did, no, you say you want a typewriter. Did when you wrote your book with your old computer, did you, did you old school Stephen King typewriter it? No, but I always think about uh, The Shining. Whatever. Yeah, right, right. It's yeah. More, it was, I actually just get it for nostalgia reasons. I just yeah, like yeah. typewriters. Yeah, cool. Yeah. This would be a good time to plug the book. Bury <laughs> Me and Montauk, Jay Dowski. Yeah. Maybe when you read it, you could plug it even better. That's right. It's on my, uh, it is on my... my Procrastination it, it didn't, burn. didn't make the beach read list as we're out of beach season here, but I will. I, I have it in the queue. I'm ready to, I'm ready to go with that book. Bury Me and Montauk, available. Amazon.com. Amazon.com, Jay Dowski, absolutely. Okay. And finally, story. The story of of how things are doing, themes, Um, how the story's told. I'd give it a a four. Uh, Third act is out of this world. Third act is really great. Um, I just wish that everything leading up to that was a little bit, was paced out better, a little fleshed out, a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Jay? I give it a four. I know I picked uh, the author of the book as like the uh, honorable mention, um, but I think when you adapt it as a screenplay, it did a great job with the themes and everything, but maybe throw in um, something less talky and more physical, or maybe throw in a, more of a scene where we talked about, you know, he maybe he comes and sees... A, how a Jewish family is actually discriminated against and mm-hmm. kind of sees their suffering. Uh, you know, it kind of, it could have done a little more. Yeah. You know, as far as the writing. I have a question. The screenplay. How, how come the, the magazine didn't hire a Jewish person to write this article? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you just described the whole podcast. <laughs> Start over. <laughs> hey, welcome to me, my, my host, Kara B. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's a yeah. massive plot hole, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, and yeah. They don't tackle that. They don't. No, they're that. like. Well, we're not hiring any Jewish people. <laughs> well, I mean, apparently I they didn't at it. first. Yeah. I guess that's the answer, though, right? They yeah, I guess so. I guess. Yeah. They wouldn't dare hire a Jewish person. Wow. Are we? I think we're gonna have to have a, a, a technological dated section now from this. Is what 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 right. sort of technology has just yeah. not stood the test of time here? Absolutely. Uh, it's a three for me. Okay. Story wise, you know, I, a little it was a little bit in your face with everything. You know, I don't. I think I, I like a little more symbolism, a little more depth to the themes. 
Uh, I think Jay, you said that right when you walked in today. But I, I, I like the fact that this holds up today. Uh, that it really the, holds up. Yeah, today. That it's a, it's a talking piece. I love that. It's a great concept. It's it's uh, it was well written. You know, so no problems with it. Just a little, just for a four or five, I just want a little more of a thinker. It was it was in, it was imbalanced, and it was it was very it was very preachy at times. Yeah, a little yeah. bit after school, especially. Yeah, a little bit after school, especially. I thought. Uh, so in a, in a one to ninety two world, we've seen every best picture winner. Yeah. Midway, a oh. little bit in the back, a little bit in the front. Yeah, I'm I'm uh I'm like fifty to fifty five. Okay, in that middle that middle yeah, range. Right. What's ninety two divided by two? It's like forty six. Oh, forty six. Okay, right in the half. Right in the point. middle. Yeah. I'm yeah. a little lower. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's it a is really a good movie. Good movie. Yeah, yeah, it is a good movie good. with a great director. I mean, I'm right. a little lower though. I'm I'm probably pushing late sixties, pushing seventy. I think. Wow. Okay. Uh, this was one where I liked it better the first time I saw it. I mean, this time around, I don't know. It's it's not a, it's not a huge rewatchable for me. No. Um, it's kind of is what it is and it's kind of right there it it is more topical now than it was when i first saw it uh yeah i just i feel like there's probably just going to be some that push it push it back like if i'm looking at this compared to like a man for all seasons i think there's elements to a man for all seasons that was more of a more of a movie to me okay but i didn't dislike it you know i didn't dislike it no, it's, it's just you know we haven't had many of these that we've done so far that i dislike i think really just Definitely the one. Definitely with Broadway Melody. Uh, Crash in Chicago, if you catch me on the right day, I'll watch them. You know, again, there's not necessarily movies that I would have, right. have picked as the best picture. I mean, we were, we were low, we were lowish on Argo, even though we both liked that movie. Yeah, but I, I, but I, talk, again, talk, I, I, I like Argo. Yeah, but like, yeah. when you talk about, like, in terms of Oscar, like... Yeah, this had a little bit of the Argo, some of my complaints with Argo. Everything was just right, was right there for you, and that's that. There's no, there wasn't too much else to it. I yeah. can't imagine the film... The filming process for this was all that difficult. I think they got their scripts. They went out. Was, really quality actors and actresses did a good job. It was difficult in the subject matter. Yes. And it was getting, difficult to and get getting it done. And yeah, but, but um, in terms of the film itself, um, it seemed pretty straightforward. Yeah, but by no means one of the worst. Oh, best no, winners, no. But, you it's, know, it's, it's, it's a good movie. It's just on the, on the spectrum of all the other Oscar winners, it's... Yeah. yeah, and 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 now when we just go briefly go through the other best picture winners here, we'll probably look at it, and you know maybe it might even have been the one I would have picked anyway. But uh, so this is just a segment here. We briefly go through the other. We don't spend a whole lot of time on it, but we do recognize the other movies that were nominated for best pictures. This is not a who should have won podcast. We still do want to kind of give a little nod to the other ones, and we'll just kind of say the movie off and read the synopsis here. So the first movie that we're going to pick here is The Bishop's Wife. I can't say I've seen The Bishop's Wife. It's uh, directed by Henry Coster. A debonair angel comes to Earth to help an Episcopalian bishop and his wife in their quest to raise money for the new church. Okay, that seems like Kathy would love that movie. That's like a. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is a. Uh, Kathy from the Kathy from. Kathy Short. No, oh. <laughs> Kathy from Gentleman's Agreement. No, 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 no! I want no. I want to. Right. It was more of a joke. About um, I've seen a preacher's wife. Oh well, I've seen a bishop's wife, which was remade with Denzel and Whitney Houston as. Oh, is that was that a remake? The preacher's wife. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Is it is that a Christmas movie? It is. I saw. It it. Is. I remember seeing Snow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. There's two Christmas movies nominated for Best Picture. It's a Wonderful Life. Not this year. No. Not this year. But uh, 
We'll get there. We'll get there. Crossfire is next. That's the Christmas movie? No. no. That sounds... Okay. A man is murdered... Yeah, on Christmas. No. A man is murdered apparently by one of a group of demobilized soldiers he met in a bar. But which one? And why? Well, wow, they do a little... Crossfire! You got a Crossfire! Yeah, I haven't seen it. Nope. Don't know much about it. I don't know it. what that is. Here's our other Christmas movie. It's a miracle on 34th Street. That's one of my favorite Christmas movies. Really? Yeah, I love it. Wow. I love it. Did you know it was nominated for Best Picture? Uh, yes. Won three Oscars. Directed by George Seaton. Nice little, uh, like, Memorial Day release. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it came out in the middle of the summer, was, I think. Christmas movies were, were weird back then. Yeah. Like, It's a Wonderful Life was released in, like, in early January. It's Here just, it. really weird. <laughs> Give us a little, uh... <laughs> <laughs> you got the, yeah, you got, the, you got this nice beard. Come on, I please. do, Alright, that's right, okay. I got a good beard going here. <laughs> <laughs> it won Best Actor in Supporting Role Best Writing Original Story And Best Writing Screenplay So they had a story And a screenplay award mm. back then Yeah that's a good and movie I, I love that movie Is that a, like a once, a once a year for you? Do you watch it every Christmas? I, I, usually, I usually watch it It's one of the, the first ones I see Because it starts on Thanksgiving It starts like Thanksgiving morning uh, The movie So I, I try to watch it early Like around like It might be like the first or second Christmas movie I watch it the season Cool. Yeah, nothing but a nice old man with a beard. <laughs> <laughs> I like how Natalie would saves her gum when she goes to bed, right? It's such like an OCD thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that was remade too, I believe. It right? was. Yeah. yeah, with um, Dylan McDermott and. Dur uh, Dylan McDermott and uh, the girl the from Matilda. From Matilda, right? Yeah, yeah. and uh, Mrs. Outfire. And then the mom from Wheat, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, I can't the think of her name. from weeds. I, I can't think and of her big. name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, per Perkins? Perk Elizabeth Perkins. Elizabeth Perkins. Yeah. And finally, this is what I, I consider probably the runner-up this year, would have been my, my choice, is a David Lean movie, one of my favorite directors, Great Expectations, Charles Dickens' novel. Okay. Great Expectations. Uh, you have the great Sir Alec Guinness in there, the minor role. Uh, there's a Star Wars connection. There you go. That. <laughs> uh, it is, if you don't know, a humble orphan suddenly becomes a gentleman with the help of an unknown benefactor. And I believe, was that not remade too? Maybe like Ethan Hawke? It Hawk? was Ethan Hawke. It was, yeah, an, yeah, yeah that, I remember there was an Ethan Hawke, Gwyneth Paltrow movie. Is that right? With the with Sarah Michelle Gellar, or is that a different? No, that's great. No, that's um, cruel intentions. Cruel intentions. <laughs> <laughs> that's and Ryan Phillippe from Crash yeah. and McGruber. Two Oscar wins for this one, including cinematography. Well, David Lean movie, of course, he's he's taking that home. Yeah. And uh, art direction, set direction. It's also nominated for best picture, best director, best writing, best screenplay. And my, uh, believe it or not, my closest attachment with Great Expectations is the South Park episode where they decided to do a full episode of just Great Expectations with Pip as the main character. Because I guess Pip is yeah. the name of the character in this. And they just play out Great Expectations. And I think there's like space monkeys in the end and stuff. But <laughs> it's like a classic South Park episode where probably everyone tuning in was looking for a regular episode and they give them this with none of, with Cartman, Kenny, and Stan, and Kyle not even in the episode. Yeah. So, and I believe it's called Great Expectations. And it's narrated by the guy... Uh, in the Rob Zombie remake of Halloween, who plays the Doctor? Oh, Malcolm McDowell. Yes, he's also the uh, Sloane's dad in Entourage. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> there we go. We tied in Batman. We tied in Star Wars. We tied in. Did we tie in Batman? Actually, we didn't. But we tied Batman, in Batman. Well, we talked about Batman and Robin with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. There it is. There it is. Schwarzenegger time. All right, Gentlemen, everyone. We did it. We. Uh, I think we avoided most minefields. You know, I think we did all right with I it. I think we did a good job na navigating these uh, dangerous waters. Dangerous waters. But, and we got our, our Arnold fix in, too. Jay, thanks for rejoining. Can't wait to have you back. Grant, I'm sure you'll be back uh, soon enough. It's, it was, been a, it's been a pleasure. It's been a good run. We're in season two now. Everyone's feeling good. And we'll be back next week with a little ditty called Roadhouse. Ooh, Can't wait. Get to the chopper. It is going to be fun. Hasta la vista, gentlemen.